All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, sticks? What's happening? I'm fucking sick, man, and I'll tell you, it's not a great time to be sick. Or maybe it is. I don't know. I don't think it's a thing. I'll let you know. But I got—I don't know what other people have. Anyways, but I, look. Fucking hate it, man. I'm sweating right now. My fever is breaking right now on the mic, right in front of you. I'm sweating. I think the last time I was sick, you guys would know. I talked to you about it. I think it was in Ireland, right? Had this exact same thing, kind of. Like, basically what's happening right now is I felt sick the other day, and then that night, I got really, like, my throat was kind of shitty, my sinuses got fucked up, I felt tired, I went to sleep, it felt like um, like a devil had uh, shit in my mouth, down my throat, burning hot poop, and I woke up and it was my, my mouth was all sticky and gross with uh, fucking virus phlegm. And uh, it's the worst, man. And I just kept getting, you know, just trying to clean my mouth with that shit. But it's a little throaty, a little heady. And then I, the next day I was just fucked. It basically feels like my face is about to blow off of my head, like my head's about to explode and I'm tired. So the other day, the next day, I just drank a shit ton of fluids, like at least two gallons of water with electrolytes in it. And I uh, took some Tylenol, took some Musinex at night, took some Sudafed during the day. Got a little jacked. I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the Sudafed makes it hard to pee if you're a dude. Is that correct? It feels a little like, you know, some of you older guys will know. Do you remember back in, when you did blow and if you had to pee, sometimes you'd just like stand there waiting to pee so long you'd have to sit down to wait to pee and you didn't know what it was, but it had something to do with blow? Am I making that up? But uh, that's not a great part of it. A little jangly, though. That's nice. A little freebie. But yeah, so I got this fucking thing. Temperature's been riding like 99 to 101.5 last couple of days. Hasn't gone to my chest yet. But I drank that first, second night I had it, I drank like two gallons of water. And that night, probably more, with the electrolytes in it. And that second night, took Mucinex instead of NyQuil, which I can recommend. Um, I sweat it out. I was swimming. The entire bed was soaked, and I felt so productive. I thought, this is great. Look at my body working, just trying to get that shit out of me. And I felt better that morning, yesterday morning. But now, like, not so great. I'm not great right now. I'm a little better. I hope it doesn't go to my chest. I don't think it's the coronavirus. I don't know. Apparently, about 70% of us are going to get one strain of it or another. But the degree of which we get it is uh, who knows. I guess I could go get tested. Can I wait, though? I'm not. I'm self-quarantining right now. I'm, sw- I'm self-quarantining. I'm not, I, yesterday, I didn't go out. Uh, today, I'm not going out. I canceled my spot at the comedy store. And tomorrow, I'll fucking lay low, see what happens. Oh, by the way, Pete Berg, the director, is on the show today. Yeah, he's a big director, big director, producer, did the, uh, directed Very Bad Things, The Rundown, Friday Night Lights, The Kingdom, Hancock, Battleship, Lone Survivor, Deepwater Horizon, Patriot's Day, Mile 22, Spencer Confidential is what he came in for. That's the one I'm in with Mark Wahlberg and Eliza Schlesinger, Schlesinger, Eliza Schlesinger's in it. And um, 
I couldn't even go to the premiere because I didn't feel well. I didn't want to push it because I care about other people and I want to see, look, if I'm fucking, you know, a, just a viral goddamn sprinkler dispenser, I'll stay at home. I'll wait it out. I can right now. It's the fucking travel, man. It's the fucking travel. But Berg, Berg and I lived together way back in the day briefly. And I've told this story before. I lived with my buddy Steve Brill. We were close then. And we're okay now. We don't hang out. He's been on the show. He's directed a lot of movies. Adam Sandler stuff. Adam Sandler's last special. Uh, good guy. Um, I, I think we should hang out. But uh, so Berg kind of moved into Steve's house, and Steve and Berg were friends, and they pushed me out onto the sofa, which is bad. And it was a bi bit of a bullying situation. I was a fragile, sensitive, lost uh, guy who moved to L.A. to pursue his dreams. And these guys seemed to have an angle on what they were doing. And uh, it, was a, it was a difficult situation. So eventually I moved on to the comedy store and got uh, fucked up on drugs. I'm not blaming them, but that's where I graduated to. And the rest is history. But uh, Brill showed up on the set of uh, Spencer Confidential. We were all going to do a scene together like old times. Didn't make the cut, though. Wahlberg was a nice guy. So I did like two scenes or three scenes in that thing. And uh, I think I did okay. I think I showed up for myself. Also got my MRI results back. So I'm, I'm sitting here. I'm sweating with this fucking whatever it is, this hybrid of a flu and a cold. I'm, I'm literally sweating right now. But let's, let's relax, folks. Let's relax. We're not all going to die yet. Well, we are all going to die, but not today. So... I did uh, go to a real doctor, and I got my um, MRI done. The doctor said, look, man, I'm not going to refer you to a surgeon, nor do I think you need spinal injections. Let's try physical therapy. The guy said it wasn't that bad. Sounds bad. Protrusions. Sounds bad to me. And you know what's fucked up about it? Is that I, it's a vanity injury. A fucking vanity injury. What do I need to fucking squat the big weights for? I'm 56 fucking years old. I don't give a fuck. What am I trying to prove? I'm not competing. I got nothing to prove. But I was squatting the big weights, and I stupidly set it on my one of my vertebrae, and it popped the fucking three down, man. Fucking vanity injury that I'm going to be stuck with my entire fucking life. I guess what I'm saying to you folks, you old guys... Take it easy. What do you got to prove, man? I'm 56. I got love in my life. My health is pretty good if I don't die from whatever I have right now. And I can stay in shape by hiking up the mountain, maybe doing some yoga and light workouts. What am I fucking squatting? You're better off having good core strength and balance and that kind of shit and walking and stuff. Dumb vanity injury. I'm very mad at myself because now I'm going to have this thing for the rest of my life, which, you know, depending what happens. We'll see. We'll see. Might not be that big a deal because I, I, who knows how long we're all going to be here. Oh, uh, the David Bowie movie Stardust that I made a while back, I can give you an update on. I actually got a link to a screener of it and it came out pretty good. And I'm fucking amazed. Given the run and gun way we shot that thing, Gabriel Range, you know, uh, the way he shot it how quick we were going, the, like the time we had. This guy, Nick Noland, this dude, he must be 80 plus, the DP, British guy, running around with that fucking genius. 
I can't even believe they got a movie out of this thing, let alone a good one. But uh, so we'll see what happens with that thing. Just uh, I was very surprised. So that's uh, that's for real. Oh, I'm sweating fucking my balls off right now. Now, got a couple of these texting stories. You know, the I'm shitty. <laughs> I'm a shitty person. <laughs> uh, if you guys were listening, you know, I, I told the story about accidentally texting a text to saying that this guy and his wife were shitty to the guy. Yeah, that happened. So then I solicited, I asked for some stories and I got some stories and I've mixed it up here. There's some good ones. Some ones that are kind of human and nice. My whoops. That was meant for someone else's story. Hey, Mark, love your story about sending a text to the wrong person. Here's my story. A while back, one of my coworkers was driving me a little insane. He used to try way too hard and really wanted to be one of the cool kids in the office. Instead, he came off as a needy attention whore and I wasn't having it. So this one day I was talking to one of my friends when he decided to butt into the conversation. So like any rational adult, I got mad and stormed off. When I got back to my desk, I emailed my friend to complain about this dude and how he drives me bananas when he interrupts and how I hate that he tries to force his way into our clique. Well, you guessed it. I sent that email to him with the subject line, Big Red, because he's over six foot tall and has red hair. Definitely not my finest moment. We emailed back and forth about it a bit and I apologized and he seemed to be cool with it. It was then that I learned an important lesson about shit-talking people. Never put it in writing. Now, six years later, we're both managers and I share an office with the dude. We sit 10 feet apart, 40 hours a week, and I can honestly say he's a good guy and I enjoy having him around. I think we both just had some growing up to do. Anyway, I hope things work out with your buddy. Dude. You were probably projecting, man. This, I bet you guys are good. For, you really get along. Usually when you have that type of fucking feeling, it's because he, you know, he reminds you of you, right? Email sent to unintended recipient. Hi, Mark with a K. Mm. My wife and I own a small business. And about three years ago, one of our suppliers via an email to me raised prices to an unconscionable level filled with rage. I forwarded the email to my wife accompanied by the sensible recommendation that we never do business again with the cocksucking supplier who I suggested should be driven across the land like the vermin that they are. As you can guess, my comments were sent as a reply to the supplier by mistake. Long story short, the shocked vermin in question replied to me immediately, apologized profusely, and lowered the prices we were charged to levels that were effective two to three years earlier. We still do business with them today. Never underestimate the weird, righteous way the universe works, and my guess is that your relationship with your friend will end up stronger in the end. Best of luck. Oddly, the weird thing is, like, I don't know those people that well. We're sort of in the same circles. Maybe I should try to reach out. I'll try. You're right. You're right. These ones are pretty, yeah, this one makes your fucking heart drop a little. Texting the wrong person. Hi, Mark. 11 years ago, I slept with a friend in a moment of weakness, and my wife found out about it. She was livid, of course, and I was left in an absolute panic that she would end our marriage. Despite my actions, I was crazy about her and didn't want her to leave. After a few bleak months, she agreed to try and reconcile. I was willing to do absolutely anything, and our therapist recommended that we renew our wedding vows not in any kind of public way, like a whole second wedding, but in some sort of personal way that would be meaningful. She said it would help to rebuild the trust that I had betrayed. I was absolutely on board, so my wife agreed to go away with me for a weekend on the coast, stay at her favorite B&B, and do some kind of personal ceremony just between the two of us. I spent days planning out what I was going to say, editing and rewriting obsessively. She was going to do her part as well, but I was 
the one that had fucked everything up, so I was definitely headlining the show. We performed our little renewal, went fine, and we had a nice weekend. I was left hopeful that it was a good start to getting back on track. On the drive home, I stopped to use a, a restroom and saw that a close friend of mine had texted to ask, how did it go? I texted to my wife who was waiting for me back in the car, no doubt contemplating her renewed but tenuous affection for me. To be honest, the whole weekend felt contrived. Oh, dude. We navigated through three more years together before she was officially done with my shit. We're still friends. She's moved on to great success in life and love. And I now triple check my texts before I send them. Love the show, Mike. To be honest, the whole weekend felt contrived. Mike. Dude. Wow. All right. Well, everyone seems to be okay. Last one. Recipient of mistaken text. I work with a married couple. I've worked with the wife for 15 years. The husband started working with us about seven years ago, and that's when they met. Uh, anyway, I'm reasonably close with the wife and always have been, and the husband is 100% comfortable with our close platonic relationship. A while back, she had left work for the day, but her husband and I were still there. Our shift's ending soon. I sent her a text about something. I don't even remember what I was asking her, and I was awaiting a response. About 30 minutes later, I received a response. It was a pic of her with a run-of-the-mill sex toy inserted into her vagina. I like the d description. <laughs> Run-of-the-mill. <laughs> I'd like a little more detail. I immediately knew that it was not meant for me. I'm cool and easygoing and could see myself sending something like this to the wrong person. Really? You could see sending someone a picture of you with a run-of-the-mill sex toy in you? Okay. I immediately texted her back and said not to worry that I had already deleted it and her secret was safe with me. She felt really stupid, as we discussed later. She was relieved it went to me and not someone else. And uh, I was the ideal accidental recipient. Up to this point, I still haven't said anything to anyone, and I don't really think this counts. What a great secret to have. And, you know, it, it was an accident, and uh, it was so intimate and weird. And you guys have to keep that weird little secret forever. Forever. Seriously, come on. Mono y mano here. Did you delete it? Did you really delete it? I believe you, pal. I believe you. So, Pete Berg is the director of Spencer Confidential. He's directed a lot of great stuff. He's a big personality. He's a good director. I actually think he definitely he has a, a style and a point of view that's for real. If you watch Friday Night Lights and Hancock, and uh, he's got a great way of shooting uh, action. And uh, we go back, and this is one of those, a kind of closure uh, talk, because he's such a big fucking, you know, alpha male guy, and, you know, he, they really, the two of them, him and Brill, really fucking made me feel shitty. I don't know if I totally got closure here, but it's good to see Pete. He's sort of a charming monster, and uh, he's still got a big personality, but, you know, he's on his best behavior, and... Uh, he gave me a nice interview, and I think I got a little bit of a closure. I think I got a little bit of closure with Big Bad Pete Berg. So this is me talking to Pete Berg. The movie is Spencer Confidential. It premieres on Netflix this Friday, March 6th, and I'm in it. 
got a shingles uh, vaccine. How does that feel? It hurts. It hurts more than usual. Did you ever get them? No. You get the flu vaccine? I did. You did get that? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't get shingles. Do you did have you? Have, I don't know. I don't have it. Did, did, you, have, did you have chicken pox no, uh, at one time? I don't remember. I don't know. People get shingles. So they get to the doctor. They said, give me the... They're like, you want the vaccine? I'm like, all right. Shingles sounds terrible to me. Who, who's gotten shingles? People get shingles. Okay. <laughs> Okay. It's out there, Pete. I don't know. I don't, okay, I believe you. So I have no proof. I, I'm telling you, why would they all of a sudden have a vaccine? Do you well, think that they get anything out of that? Yes, money. How much money? How much? Is it? Probably fifty dollars. I don't know. It didn't cost me anything. It's on the coverage. I went over to the Bob Hope Health Center. Exactly. Do <laughs> <laughs> you know the Bob Hope Health Center? Bob Hope. Come I, on. That's the I'm on Brea Sag. After. Yeah, I've been out there. But you're a DGA guy now. So what, you, what, they got a special hospital for your health care? No, we just go to the doctor. Oh. I just don't... Don't you have a doctor? I have a doctor at the Bob Hope Health Center. I see. I see. Does the... I mean, can you choose your doctor? Yeah. Yeah. Usually... I would, I would think you would be a pain in the ass for a doctor. You'd be a complicated... Not anymore. Not anymore. I'm good. Really? I don't go much unless I'm really hurting. I kind of have a back thing right now. I gotta go... That's why I went. What's wrong with your back? I had, I did a, I set, uh, it was an exercise accident. You're a boxer, right? Yeah. You're a thing? You're, yeah. You do stuff? Yeah. Yeah. But exercise is meant to prevent you from injury. Well, no, I was, what happened was I was setting a, the bar down on my shoulders for a squat and I, and I set it down wrong and I, and it's something, I set it on a vertebrae or something and something popped. Oh, geez. What do you do? I don't squat. No? No. Not anymore? Or I mean, occasionally I'll squat because- you know, as you get older, if you yeah. don't do some squat, your yeah. ass drops, and it's right. like you know you so the, I, you, you can't know. let your ass drop. That's like the goal: go as long as you can without having your ass drop. You don't want anything to drop that much, do you? Well, you don't want your ass to drop, and you don't want your bowels to prolapse. Right. That's kind of my. No, well, so right. So you got to be careful with the squatting. Right. And, if yeah. you if you don't squat, your ass can drop, and if if you do squat too much, your, your bowels, bowels can prolapse, and all kinds of things can happen. So you got to. No, is that a, an injury you've seen before? You prolapse just heard? bowel. Yeah. I mean, I think I wrote it. What does that mean when your asshole That's, falls out? Yeah, your asshole falls out of your body. You can Google it. There's pictures. Not doing <laughs> there's there's pictures. Don't do that. Uh, I mean, I think just being on sets for so long would sometimes get bored and yeah. look up like gross oh, sure. medical right. procedures yeah, and yeah, medical yeah. injuries and. Someone on some film pulled up, started talking about prolapsed bowels. And, and they I, said you can get it from squatting? Yeah, you can get it from squatting or mm-hmm. you know, anything that causes you to exert pressure on your rectum, I guess. Yeah, uh, I, I, yeah. sneezing hard you can sneeze your asshole out of your body. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I mean, it's, it's a horrible deal. So I watched uh, the movie that we made together. Spencer Confidential, it's because now. <laughs> yeah. It's, we went through a few titles. Well, is that because you, there are like dozens of these books and they, they came out so good, you think that you got mm-hmm. a franchise on your hands? Well, hopefully. I mean, I, I, I'm really happy with the movie. I think- It moves um, quick. Keeps yeah. good. It, 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 you're very good at that. It's a the crowd, action. crowd pleaser. It's a crowd pleaser. Yeah. yeah. And I was, it, Humor, yeah. violence, bad guys getting beat up. Mark Maron. A little bit of Mark Maron. Not a fair amount. Fair <laughs> amount. All Driving your, that narrative. All your you scenes. You were so fucking I mean, funny on you the had, set. That was a lot of work. You were like, you're like we did, you, but it was literally after I got done with, with dumping all that story, you are like, we didn't think it would work. Yeah. But you did it somehow. Yeah, you did it. You pulled it off. You made it. I mean, 
The the movie was um, you know based on um, the Spencer books. I never heard of those books, but people love them. Well, you heard of Spencer for Hire though. Yeah, I right. Remember when we were kids? It was yeah. a TV show. That that's that, the same guy. Yeah, same guy. This guy Ace Atkins who wrote yeah. like he literally wrote seven hundred books. Seven hundred. Think about that. He wrote, well, give or take, give or take of that one guy of the, the Spencer, Spencer character. Guy. Yeah, and and I mean Ace Atkins was. Just an extremely prolific Boston cr- guy, Boston crime writer. Yeah, and but I just think about like, you know, we all think we're busy and accomplished and yeah. you know prolific. And right. We do all- this guy wrote seven hundred books. Know. How old did he live till a hundred? I I don't probably like thirty or <laughs> so, wait, something. Come on, He's no, gonna... no, he was old. I think in his seventies. That's like two or three books a year. He knocking them out. He was just just in a in a flow. And yeah, I have read one of the books. Right, the one that we made, Wonderland. Yeah. But our editor, Mike Sale, has read pretty much all of them. Is he a Boston guy? Uh, yes. Mike yeah. Sale is a Boston guy. But, but you know, just loved these books. Yeah. And, you know, could talk about them and would talk about them while we're cutting the picture, telling me about all these different stories and these plot lines and the history of Spencer. And yeah. So, um, you know, if if the movie plays well and, and everybody wants to do another one, we definitely will. But now, did you do a deal? Was this always with Netflix? I don't know if I knew that when I did the yes. movie. It was always a Netflix yes, movie. Yes, this was straight up Netflix. And it's, it's not going to do a theater run at all? It might do a limited theater, just... So you can just, get it into consideration. Well, no, this what? I don't think will be in consideration. It's 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 not it's not. It was certainly not. But you never know. The one thing I've learned, Mark, is you never know. Right? I like that you acknowledge your limitations. Yeah, like, I, we know what this is. We, I mean, but we do kind of know what it is. And right. you know, I think one of the things that attracted me to to to, to doing it and Mark yeah. to doing it is we've been making some heavy movies. You know, we, you and Wahlberg. Yeah, we make like stories where real people die. Generally. What was the first movie you guys did together? We did Lone Survivor. That was the first one. Yes, that was the one with the, the Navy SEALs. The Navy SEALs and, and they all get killed and well, all, but, uh, all but one. Him, yeah. yeah, and he ends up with those uh, Arabic people. Afghans. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a good movie. Yeah, I saw it. And then um, you know, nineteen Navy SEALs were killed in in oh, that film. Yeah, uh, and so that was like. I had to go and, work, and you had Ben Foster in that too yep, I like Ben Foster oh, he's great he's directed a movie I just talked to him yesterday you did? he's yeah. directing one? Direct, getting ready to direct his first movie very talented young man and you produced the, the, his movie too? A Hell no. in High Water? oh, oh yes, yes 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 I did huh. I did um, uh, with Taylor Sheridan I produced it for Taylor Sheridan yeah alright so okay so Lone Survivor is the first Wahlberg movie first was Lone Survivor then it was the um, Deepwater Deep Water Horizon which was you know another true story about the oil rig that, that blew up in uh, south of Louisiana. I didn't see that movie oh it's a good movie yeah yeah I think so it's pretty intense yeah um, and that but like that's like how do you well we can get to that but so you and with with that relationship you guys got along you knew each other before Lone Survivor that how do you build yeah, yeah. all of a sudden decide like that we're a team we're gonna do these movies well we knew each other they're like is like loosely use the word friends. We were like you know kind of like Hollywood friends. Mm-hmm. Like we'd say hi to each other and right. occasionally like run into each other. Yeah. And you know it was it was a friendly cordial relationship. Right. And we talked about working with each other. Um, and then finally, Lone Survivor was kind of the the film that that worked out. Yeah. And I think um, you know the, the movie did very well. Yeah. It was a success. Yeah. Um, and we just kind of both have a very similar outlook and ex- perspective on the business and we have approach to working. We don't like to waste time. Yeah. We we take it seriously, but we don't take it maybe as seriously as some people do. Uh-huh. And, th- and that's not to say we don't take it seriously. We do. And we want right. to do good work and we want the films to work. But 
we don't like to waste time. And I think both of us related well to each other and we quickly developed a shorthand yeah and that went right into Deepwater horizon and that movie did did well also it was a good film and but you don't you don't like to waste time but you know it must have taken years to pull that movie together i mean we got to shoot in the water yeah. build a thing well flaming things yeah but even yes but there's a, there's economical ways of moving through a film like Deepwater horizon where yeah. it could take eight months you know right. instead of three months and you know, so much of of the of the hard work with something like Deep Water is is done for the year prior, leading up. Forget yeah, about the script. Right. Just tremendous amount of prep. Like yeah. for Deep Water Horizon, we built the biggest set ever built in the history of filmmaking. Down is in, that true? We, yeah, we built this one hundred and twenty foot. I mean, in the history of filmmaking, history of filmmaking, the biggest set ever built. Congratulations! Well, it you was did it. it was completely unnecessary, and we wasted a fuckload of money. It made shooting. It's a, it's a very long story, and there's some people that predated me that deserve a little bit of, of the blame. Well, or I'm credit. not going to use the word blame. I'll right. just they own the responsibility of, of starting to build this massive. So you came into that later. I came into it later. Yeah, and the the ship had sailed on this giant set, but they were going to make it even bigger. It was in the water. It was no, it was in the parking lot of an out of business Six Flags amusement park outside of Louisiana, in a swampy giant parking lot with alligators and. Wild pigs and water moccasins. That's where you built the the thing. The, yeah, the they, drilling they, thing. Well, they built this massive rig. And yeah, the rig. One of the th the thinking, the thought behind yeah. building a hundred feet up in the air was that, that when you get up that high, you can shoot a, a shot of a of an actor's face, and you won't see the ground. You just it'll right. you can feel like you're out in the water. The but thing. the truth is, you you do see the ground, <laughs> and and you can you can put someone on the ground and just maybe get two inches below their face and shoot up. And you and so there was there were so many so many flaws, and um, and I came in and and actually yeah. stripped the set down, but it still turned into to I mean Google pictures of it still was the biggest um, set ever built. Is it was still just, sitting there? No, they ripped it all apart like oh. a week after we built it. But we had like 500 welders from all over Louisiana and the states around Louisiana. There was a working helicopter pad on it. One of the mistakes of, of logic, I won't, yeah. I won't say blame, but the flawed thinking was yeah. that like no one realized that well, if you're going to build something this big, right. A, if you want, and you want to land a helicopter on it, you, they, the, the Department of Engineering they license it like we were talking about your garage. You right. just had some inspection yeah. issues. Well, they come and inspect that, and you're subject to the same <laughs> standard as if you were building a real building that was going. So every weld had to be signed off by two engineers. Inspectors, it had to be yeah, yeah. inspector. It had to be built to last. And you know, normally you build a Hollywood set, you you can throw it away. Yeah, yeah. cheap out. But you had to land real helicopter. But we didn't actually have to land the helicopter. <laughs> we could have cheated it. Yeah. And 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 then the other thing, I was like, I'm like, okay, so it's. It's 110 odd feet up in the air, which there's an elevator to get you up there, or it's six stories yeah. of stairs, right? And the all elevator right. I knew didn't work all the time. So I'm just thinking, well, okay, so we're going to be up 110 stories in the summer in, yeah. in Louisiana, so it's going to be 105 degrees, yeah. and there's all kinds of you know issues with the weather. And we'll be up there, and, and if, say, Mark wants, Wahlberg wants to go to the bathroom, right? well, he's going to have to go down six flights of stairs, get in a golf cart, Drive to his his trailer. Yeah, he's gonna get in his trailer. He's gonna be high. He's gonna like take his shirt off and you know do it's it. An hour. He's gonna get on the phone with his wife. Yeah, he's gonna, and it's gonna be four hours. Yeah, 
right between a shot between because he went to the bathroom. he went to go pee right i'm like this is crazy we can't do this so then we had to bring outhouses up to the top of the thing and then the outhouses started to you know reek so we had to build air conditioning tents around the outhouses and it's like the set just kept growing like a tumor yeah it was it was um but the movie broke even yeah yeah the movie broke even the movie did really well got got you know did it's a very good movie i'm yeah. very proud of it and um, but that's a lot of money that you uh, handle now. I mean, like, let's like, we're gonna have to go back because you know, like deep back, pretty deep. Lawler, yeah, I think we should Lawler Street. Yeah, because I know you, man. I mean, I knew you when you. I took your first headshot, and I don't know if people know that. Yeah, why would they? But I, I, I lived with Steve Brill. I'll set this up for the audience. I, w- I went to college with Steve Brill. They've heard of Steve. I've done a show with him. And when I moved out here, I moved. <laughs> To LA, I moved in with Steve in, on Lawler Street in Culver City. In the apartment that Steve's uncle owned, but Steve charged and kept rent for. Yeah, I didn't really know that. Yeah, and he raised my rent one day. That was a well. The thing is, you you kind of pushed me out. I remember. Did I did I get I the bedroom? Like no, I, yes, because you were on the couch. That did didn't it, want you think I chose the couch? No, I don't. I couldn't remember whether you I'll were. I'll tell you exactly what happened. I know what happened. I don't. I was paying rent. No, I was paying. So both yeah, of us were paying rent Steve, to Brill. No, but Steve, I don't remember that well, but I know that we weren't getting along great. You guys had your little crew. Yeah. I came out. You didn't really know me. No, we but didn't. But it was you and Brill and Mendelssohn yeah. and Andy. What's his name? Miller. Andy, Andy Miller. Miller. yeah. Aubrey Rappaport was uh, yeah, Steve's Yeah, Aubrey Rappaport. Ha- Harry Redlick. Harry Redlick. Harry Redlick. That's right. So all these people, and I'm just this fucking weird guy that wants to do comedy. So I'm living with Steve and... Uh, you guys are living your young Hollywood life. Right, right. You're across town. I I met you and you're living you you're you're maybe your roommate is dating Ari Gross. Were you living with a girl? Yes, was, yes. Yeah, wow, you have a good memory. Cuz I see Ari at the Whole Foods. Yes, now. I was living with an yes, actress. An actress named Karen Lee Hopkins. And uh yes, and we were I was asked to leave because I would always have like 10 guys in the apartment and Ari Gross would be trying to like hang yeah, out and you know be romantic, yeah, and we yeah. would be like sh- he was, shotgunning beers and he's an fighting. actor. Well, that's uh, right. And 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 he kind of like uh, he he stood up to you guys. He got you out. The chick got he, you out. He got her to stand up to us. I don't know. I don't recall. All right, got. I respect him, but I don't think he stood up. But Karen, she stood up right. and kicked but me. But to out. me, you guys were like starting to make it. I remember Ari was in some movie, and uh, you like you were you were like. Uh, Here's what I remember the, the 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 primary points about you, like I don't know I I know you had dated an old actress or something, at some point. Uh huh. And then like you were also working on a, a Prince documentary that uh-huh. you wanted yes. to bring yes. together. Like yes. I don't know who you were, but you're like this is it's gonna it was called something city purple erotic city <laughs> erotic no, city good job. erotic city and but, this was your thing but i didn't know what you were doing what, what that involved was every night me and maria dylan bob dylan's daughter who we were trying to produce this doc going to a restaurant that prince's manager owned yeah trying to find prince's manager which we never found <laughs> that was as close that to sounds get, like a good movie yeah but it, just that, that yeah that was as close to making that movie as we ever can but you're like what are you 20 years old 20 years old now? no no 23 I just out of college, 23, 24, really? maybe. Really? Yeah. 23, probably. So you're trying to do that, I remember. And then I remember, like, you know, you wanted headshots, and you saw I had a camera. Yep. We went outside. We took 
pictures, and you used yours for years. Right? I know. I remember I was wearing a checkered shirt, yeah. and I, I think I sat in a bulldozer. You put me in a... Um, but I, it was just your face. You couldn't see it. No, I know, but I just remember you we said... Walking get walking around. What do you call the bucket of a bulldozer? The thing oh, that, the, that Yeah. You know, right. thing, thing, Is that true? Yeah. I, you you had me squat down, and it was actually a good it? picture. I squatted down, and... The light was the shine of the metal was yeah. good. And Did you, you use that picture? Yeah, that was my headshot. I got work off of that. Yeah. I owe you. I got all my first jobs off no, of that. No, we, we evened up. You put me in the movie. But then, like Steve and you were buddies, and so you get kicked out, and then I got to move out of the room onto the couch, and then you do the same thing. You bring 10 guys yeah. over. I'm asleep on the yeah, couch every morning with women coming over, and you wake me up. I would hit you. Yeah, you'd wake um, me up. Come on, we want to listen to music. You're listening. To, I remember you listening to Easy E. Yeah, I was the first one. Yeah, the before first anybody, one. I was listening to Easy. That's right. And you also turned me on to uh, the Richard and Linda Thompson. I think maybe the maybe I had that record. Maybe I don't know. That sounds but, like your stuff. <laughs> yeah, but I taught you three chords on the guitar. Yes, you did. A D A D and E. Right, but you never let me sleep. And then you fuckers. I can't. I'm just. I'm just laying. I'm just laying some groundwork. No, get, get it out. Then I don't know what to do with myself, and I gotta. You know, I gotta get another apartment. So they set me up down the hall with the woman who lives down the hall who lost her roommate. Remember, it like, and I moved down the hall into that girl's apartment, and within a week or two, I drank her booze. Uh, I tried to have sex with her, right. and they ran an intervention on me. But I just remember you and Brill coming down there laughing at me, like, so this is your new place. Huh? Was this the girl that Brill would pound on the wall, and she would come like no, to no, the room, no. and they would have sex? No, there was, no. Because that was the other side of the, uh, yeah. the building. No, so the girl, no. he would knock on the wall, and then she would come over. Oh, yeah. That you was his maiden call. Here yeah. He was. In a bit. And eventually I ended up at the comedy store. But I taught you how to play guitar. I took your headshot. You, know, you talked about the Prince movie. I lent you my Walkman, my Rockman. So you remember you got a job on a fishing boat. Yes. And you took my yes. that that bought that Tom Schultz uh, and Rockman I could play the guitar on through it. it. Yeah. I man, you've got a good memory, Mark. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. I remember working on the fishing boat. And bringing, you brought the and, guitar. And I brought an electric guitar. And I gave you that thing. Yes. And I would sit on the, because it was such a boring job. We were floating off of. 200 miles off the coast of Long right. Beach for five days and yep. I had nothing to do. We were waiting for the nets to fill with fish Yeah, and I would play that guitar. Yeah, do that thing. Wow, wow. Yeah, I still I, have that thing. But so that's that's my memory of it. But where did you come from before? Like, But you, do people know what a great guitar player you are and singers? Yeah, that's common knowledge, right? Like, Because I remember you. I don't know if I'm great, but I work at were, it. I play after each podcast. I do a little okay. noodling. But you, you, know? were, you were very talented. Well, I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, and right. I remember... When we were, like, I do remember tormenting you a bit, and I apologize for that. But you know, we would get up, and you were sleeping on a couch, and the couch was sort of your bedroom, middle. but it was the middle uh, of the room. it was everybody's I room. I, it was, I it was, I, it it was a tight spot for not, everybody. Not great. Um, <laughs> tight spot. It was a tight spot for everybody. But but um, but I rem I mean, Brill was had a good time. But, yeah, but Brill was a bastard, and I've told him this. I mean, he was he he. His, he was getting that apartment for free from yeah. his uncle, who's some like plastic yeah. surgeon, kind right, of weird right. dude in Bel Air. Yeah, there's some old stories about that guy. Yeah, kind of a creepy dude. Yeah. Who, but he gave Bro the apartment for right, free. Right. So I, I was being charged rent, you know, like I paid $600 or whatever a month rent. Yeah. I think this was after you left. My yeah. rent went up. Yeah. And then I remember like two months into me living there, he calls me into the kitchen and he has to have a meeting with me. He's yeah. like, Peter, I hate to say, I got to raise your rent. I'm like, Bro, what, what do you mean you have to rate this? Just, you're just saying I have to give you personally more money. Yeah. We don't have any money, and all your money is my money. You're just taking my money. Yeah. But he had to raise my rent. Yeah. And I um, I think I threw a, a bottle of Mount Gay rum in his head. You did? Yeah. And then, like, just missed. 
And did but did you guys have a real falling out at one point? At mm-hmm. some point? Mm-hmm. Because I remember that, like, see, I lost touch because I, I went to the comedy store and entered that hole for decades. And I know that then then Brill, you know, kind of became a Sandler guy and then he got mad at me and then I heard things about you. But let's go, before we do that, okay. I want to know, where you grew up in Westchester, though, because yes. I remember you grew up in the same town as my first girlfriend in Chappaqua. Chappaqua, New York, yeah. But yeah. you didn't know her, I don't think. What's her name? Uh, Sarah Rubin was her name. Sarah Rubin? Yeah. Sarah Rubin? Yeah. No, you don't. No, no, no. I mean, she, I, she I could did, have. Or she probably dated a guy age. named Andy Gilchrist, who was a guitar player. But did, I think they're like it maybe a little. It doesn't matter. Yeah, no. Uh, but like, so what was the story there? You you come from regular Jews? No, I come from. I'm a half Jew, but I come from Jews in denial. So so my father was half Jew. Or my father was Jewish. My mother was Catholic. But they were embarrassed of their Judaism. So we they pretended we were oh, we yeah. were basically. Um, uh, uh, atheists, uh-huh. um, but who celebrated Christmas because it was sort of a fun vacation. But there, were, there was no, um, there was no religion. N- no, there was nothing but the and, and a kind of an aggressive denial of of our Jewish heritage. Really? Yeah. Why is that? Um, I don't know. It was it was the culture that my family was in. They your were, old man, your dad's family. My my dad and my mom's family in particular just were not kind of down with the Jewish culture. Did you and, have grandparents? Um, Your dad's I did. Parents? I did, but they were they were equally um, non-religious. No kidding. No one, no one practiced religion. I was not bar mitzvahed. Um, yeah. uh, What'd your dad do? My dad was an advertising guy, like Mad Men. Oh, really? For gray advertising. Oh, that's uh, a big one. That's like yeah. a big one. He was uh, Jeff Peanut Butter. Jeff Peanut. Jeff, oh, Jeff. Remember, he yeah, Jeff? he was Jeff. That was, he, his, account? That was his account. He yeah. was he was the um, the marketing guy. Uh-huh. Uh, the, I mean, the um, client relations guy. Yeah. So he would. I mean, it's crazy. Like Mad Men, he was a little bit after Mad Men, like a little bit, yeah. sort of a couple of years after that generation. In the but 70s. Yeah, they yeah. would still have three martinis at lunch. Yeah. So they come in, they take the train in the city. They'd yeah. have, from Westchester into Manhattan, they'd have three <clears throat> martinis at lunch. They'd yeah. work all, all morning, sort of. I don't know what they do. Right. Then they'd go to lunch, have you know steak, steak tartare, right. a lobster, yeah, and yeah. three martinis, yeah. come back to the office and it's just basically crazy. pass out on their desks until it was six. Then they would all- Is that what they, they, they passed they out? Just, well, they just, they couldn't how, do any work. Because in the TV shows, they always just go back to work, but I was, how the fuck no, is that they possible? Would, they would pass out, and they were also, they'd smoke cigarettes, they'd chain smoke cigarettes, yeah. and just, God knows, they were fucking hammered. Yeah. And then they would like, um, like March of the Penguins, like the drunk penguins from <laughs> the office the to Grand Central, where yeah. there was a bar car, okay? Yeah. And so then the men would all start drinking, reloading right on the bar car. The trains would inevitably break down, so they'd, they'd have three more drinks on the train. So we'd come home shit-faced every well, day? Yeah, but we, the, I have these memories, and as do a lot of my friends from Chappaqua, we would all go with our parent, you know, my mom and my yeah. sister and I, and other wives and their kids would go to pick up at the train station, the right. husbands. Right. And these trains, like the, they were to get off, you had to like three steps, but the third step was a good two feet off the ground, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. And I have memories of these men falling off the train, and one in particular, a man landing on his face and breaking his nose and knocking out some teeth, and us screaming, and everybody was drunk. <laughs> All the time, and and that was my. If you really ask me, my memories of, of Chappaqua, it's like just alcohol. Yeah, every the parents were just drinking. That time, the seventies. I got pictures of my. Yeah, you're, you're we're about the same age. Yeah, and like you know, I remember. I see pictures of everyone was drinking. Yeah, and on weekends it would be like 
a drink called a stinger. Do you yeah. know what a stinger is? No, I don't remember. I think it's like brandy and whiskey. Yeah. And 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 like they would have brunch, like stinger brunches yeah. on Saturday. Yeah. And there would just be like thirty adults getting shit faced. Just fucking. Were they swingers? Crazy drunk. I've my parents weren't, yeah. but do you remember the movie Ice Storm? Yeah, no, I know. So yeah. that was that was literally the time I grew up in. And Ice right. Storm was filmed in Bedford, which is, uh, you know, a town uh, near right next to yeah. Chappaqua, neighboring Chappaqua, and the Ice Storm had the key parties, right, where the yeah. couples would. So I think um, I don't. I'm sure some of my f- parents' friends were yeah. swingers. There was something. You know, they were all starting to experiment with drugs, and you know, my, my yeah, because the kids were in yeah the, in well, the '60s, late '60s. Yeah, but we, yeah, we we weren't doing no, it though. No. But I, I was no, too no, young. I mean that that generation once the '60s happened, it kind of got yeah. into the grown-up. That's culture. right. That's yeah. right. That's right. And so there was like a little bit of coke, I think, yeah, and there was yeah. a lot of weed. I mean, nothing much harder than that. But was your old man in the military? My dad was in the Marine for Marine Corps for two and a half years. He really? Was in, he was actually in the Korean War, but he was. He never got off a boat. He was oh. a, cur- uh, a lieutenant colonel in the Marine Corps. Because my dad did two years in the Air Force. I guess they did that. Yeah. Did he go to Korea? No, he's so, he was he was more Vietnam era. I think he was in the service like 69, 69 through seventy one. Yeah, my dad was. Was he older? Uh, my dad was. Yeah, my, he, he would have been. Old. Is your dad still alive? Yeah. How old is he? He's eighty. Yeah, so my dad died three years ago at eighty at eighty four. So my dad's a little, a little bit older. Um, and my dad, like, basically, as he got older, yeah. his um, uh, uh, loyalty and connection to the Marine Corps grew and grew and grew. Really? And, yeah, deeply patriotic towards the Marine Corps, uh, towards the military. Um, and did that that sort of, like, what, did that influence you? <clears throat> I think and, so. And your way of looking at the military? Because you definitely do movies that are uh, sort of honest depictions of current in, uh, warfare. Yeah, yeah. I think um, <clears throat> particularly with like Lone Survivor, um, I think p- when I read that book, I was yeah. I was hooked on the book. But there was there was a wanting uh, an, a, a respect for the military <clears throat> that that was instilled upon me at a young age by him. Um, yeah, but was yeah. he? He wasn't great Santini guy. No, no, he no. wasn't great Santini, but. He was like the kind of guy who, like, after eleven drinks, yeah, you know, and not not to say he was a heavy drinker because that wasn't heavy drinking back then. Sure. That was normal after lunch. After lunch, you know, <laughs> yeah. he might on any given Sunday be sitting there, and like during halftime of a Giants game or watching on TV, he would turn and apropos of nothing, say, "You know, if they instill the draft, you're going." <laughs> You're going, <laughs> and and it was you know, the resentment that your life was too good. Yeah, and I, but it was just like he just like and if I like even said anything other than of course I'm going. Yes, of course I'm going. I yeah. I hope they do reinstate the draft. And I if I even paused, yeah. he would attack. Really? Yeah. You yeah. oh you think you're not going to go? You think you're not going to go? Oh, you're going to go. God, God damn it, Pete! You know really? no, it would get it would get it would get crazy. And so I think. Um, yeah, he was he was a war um, historian. He could have he could my dad could have um, walked at any given time into any college on in, a, in in the country. Yeah, and taught a course in Civil War history, Revolutionary oh, he War knew history. All that stuff. He knew it cold. And I mean, I remember we lived in Chicago for a year, and we went to the museum. Why? Uh, he got transferred. He, Gif co- business? Yeah. Well, it tied. Oh. He got put on the tied account. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so he, but Gray has a big office in Chicago. Yeah. So we lived there, yeah. and I remember, um, I was like in third grade, maybe uh, third or fourth grade, and 
we went to the Museum of Science and Technology right. in Chicago. Have you yeah. ever been there? No. It's a good science museum. Yeah. And they have a, um, a captured German U-boat right. submarine. Yeah. And you can tour it. And I remember we you wait and you go on with it was our family and there's like, you know, eight other people. There are families, so there's yeah. like thirty people all we don't know each other, we're all right. going on this tour. And there's some nice, like, you know, 23-year-old girl from, like, Northwestern who's yeah. giving the tour. And she's like, <laughs> yeah. and this is where the radio room was. And they would communicate through a series of signals. And my dad would be like, that's not accurate. That is not accurate. <laughs> and he, you know, and she'd be like, sir, no, that's not accurate. What you're saying about the communication technique, it's a completely inaccurate, actually. I'm just saying. And then he, by the, and he would take over the tour. And we yeah. would be, like, really embarrassed. But he knew his shit, right, yeah. from a military standpoint. And when your mom, what did she do? So my mom, when I was growing up, was a um, my mom. She, she was always volunteering. She started like oh, yeah. fifteen different um, charities, uh, and some of which are still going today. But when I was young, at that time, when my dad was at Gray, yeah. she was a volunteer at a, a psychiatric hospital in White Plains, uh. and she would come home with these wild stories of like Alice Cooper. Like had a breakdown of some kind. The rock band guy, Alex Cooper, the musician. Alice Cooper, yeah, the musician. Yeah, Alice he Cooper, was, Alice Cooper. He was a patient there for yeah. a while, and he took a liking to her, and they was having this whole, you know, friendship. And yeah, and, but she would come home like uh, she came home once, and her ears were all bloody. Yeah, and she had been wearing hoop earrings, and a patient just reached up and pulled the earrings oh out of her God. ears. She yeah. would have all these crazy stories. She was a um, and still still is just like an active. She's still around, huh? Yeah, she's doing well. And That's great. She she would started like five different charities and very busy with service work. Busy, yeah, but she she it wasn't really the service. Yeah. She would just make she would come back like my mom started a group. She, my mom had breast cancer, yeah. and she started a group called Share, which is a she started the first self help group for women yeah. that had breast cancer because at the time there were no support groups, so yeah. then women with this. You know, horrible time of having the cancer and then having a um, you know a breast removed yeah. and having our you know two breasts removed and having the surgery and it obviously is a very complicated thing for anyone and for for a woman and you know I, I was, there was no support groups yeah she so she started this support group and she was on sixty minutes they profiled oh, wow. her yeah but but she would so she was big on um, on uh, on you know cancer and helping yeah. women with breast cancer and but she would come home and she'd be like I'm so sick of these fucking age people they're getting all the money these fucking age people uh, fuck leukemia fuck leukemia yeah. this is bullshit yeah you know and so she would turn it all into like this game yeah where she she really did care yeah but she would get so caught up in politics know, the politics and yeah. having fun with yeah. you know if you think about there's a certain amount of money and yeah. age research was going to get so much leukemia um and breast cancer and so and so and and my mom was way out before the NFL was wearing pink. Yeah, you know, and, yeah. and breast cancer was something that was so uh, commonly fought for. My mm. mom was oh. was really fighting. Well, now it's like it's like so prevalent. It's crazy. And your sister's not in show business, is she? No, no. My sister's a casa. My sister has one of the most intense jobs. Do you know what a casa is? A casa. Casa. It's an it's an abbreviation, and I don't can't remember what it's for. But basically. She works in child service protection. So yeah. if a kid is being horribly, you know, has a cracked out father and no yeah. mother and right. is being you know, sexually abused or, you know, some these are unbelievably horrible stories. Oh, my God. She, she has to come in once the child's been separated from the parents yeah. and do deep in, uh, uh, investigation to yeah. determine whether the child should be reunited with the kid, with the parent, right. whether the child or should go into foster homes. Yeah. And it's like... 
I mean, not to, not to get heavy on with That's you know, right. but it really is like the stories above. Um, you know, th- she's in Newark, New Jersey, and, oh and that surrounding yeah, area. It's heavy, yeah. But when you hear the stories of what these people are, these children are going through, and how these children are born at you know so far away from home plate, it's <sighs> ridiculous. Yeah. You know, it's like they don't have a fighting chance. And what did she try to f- find them healthier situations? Or I what? mean, basically, the dr- the dream job is to get a child adopted by a good family. Yeah. So like that's the big win. Yeah. But it's really hard, yeah. you know. And mm-hmm. and you see these these um children and yeah. she works with when they're 12 and they're in foster homes and then 14 and there's yeah. and by 16 they can't no one's going to adopt them and they've been oh my you God. know and, but then when they're 18 they age out of the system so it's bye-bye and if she keep in touch with them she or? tries but it's like you know you're, you've got to draw some line of of, of course and yeah. so is she a social worker then yeah it's a, it's a form yeah. of social work but it's called casa and for anyone that listens and knows anyone in the world of casa these people are like true angels and they're doing the work that that nobody wants to look at and i mean the stories of abuse Ugh. and neglect that i hear are like mind-blowing and so like so you come out you went to college did you study acting and i shit? studied theater yeah Where I, well so um, I didn't get into my backup college. I applied to like five colleges. And Were you bad in high school? Yeah, it was horrible. Yeah, I'm just. I think I was. I was maybe um, underdeveloped uh, and mentally. Because I was really stupid in college, like I just couldn't. Like I could. But were you partying and beating people up? Yeah, yeah, I was like fighting and drinking and like chasing (laughs) girls. But like I was just refused to study, you know. And like, but I could coast by with like C's and an occasional C minus, and like maybe every once in a while a B minus. You got a lot of charisma, charm them out of it. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I did have some, but I my backup sports, no sports. Um. Not really, no. I, pl- I tried to play football, but I wasn't. Uh, yeah. I wanted to be. Cor- I, th- I thought I could be a great quarterback. Right. And I had no skill for it. <laughs> and my finally, my senior year, yeah. I, they put me as a defensive end, and I yeah. really like. And I should have done that the whole time, but um, um, I didn't get in to any of the schools I applied to, and my fallback was Tulane. Yeah. And I didn't get into Tulane, and, yeah. and my college guidance counselor came up to me and was panicked. He's like, "Dude, you, we, we're, we're, you didn't get in anywhere. This is very unusual." <laughs> and he goes, <laughs> I, there, "There's a school in Minnesota uh, called McAllister College. It's not much of a school, but they'll take you." Um, and I called my parents. I'm like, "There's a school called McAllister. They're like, take it." And yeah. I, I took it, and I went there. And I'd never been to Minnesota. All all I knew was the Minnesota Vikings, were the purple people eaters, and I right. thought they were cool when I was yeah. a kid. But I knew nothing other than yeah. it was fucking cold. Right? I like Minnesota. I do too. Yeah. Oh, I love Minnesota, but I never, didn't know anything about it. Um, and when I got there, uh, I was very confused. I'd never seen the school. I had no yeah. idea what I was doing. And, and like the second day <laughs> I had- blind? Yeah, we totally yeah. went blind. And I, I had to meet with um, my faculty advisor, right? Yeah. So, you know, right? Did you have a faculty advisor at B? Yeah, B- I did, actually. BU, right? Yeah, B- yeah, yeah. So my faculty advisor's name was Dan Kaiser. And yeah. it, it happened that he was like in the theater department, which was just an awful theater department, tiny little yeah. St. Paul, Minnesota, liberal arts college theater department. Uh, and they're like, uh, he said, you know, I went, he was a nice guy. And yeah. he was in charge of building all the sets and yeah. doing all that, right? And he's like, so you got to take a history course. And okay, I'm going to take American. Yeah. You take a math course. You got all the... And he's like, you know, do you have any interest, idea what you want to do? I said, no. He's like, well, you got to take an arts course. And I said, okay. He's like, listen, would you have you ever done any acting? I said, nope. He said, well, you know, 
would you be interested in taking acting one? I'm like, I don't think so. He's like, like, here's the deal. Our department, we have nobody in it. We're about to be closed down. <laughs> would you take acting one? Just we need bodies. Yeah. We need bodies. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I went in for my first acting class. And it, it, it's a, it was a, it's a good story, I think. And we were, like, there was like me, eight girls, and a guy of non-clear gender, unspecified gender. Yeah. Um, but you know, an, an, a group that I w- had never been around, right? right? And I'm sitting there, and this teacher comes in, Doctor uh, Doctor Hatfield was his yeah. name, and he starts talking about, you know, we're going to learn about acting principles, right. and yeah. and the door opens, and this older guy, like 75 year old dude, comes in, and he's like, "You guys are in the wrong classroom," and I'm, and I'm, Doctor Hatfield's like, "No, well, this is acting 1A," and the, yeah. and the guy, the older teacher, says, "No, I'm Professor Wilson, and I've I've got a debate school class, and you're in the wrong room," and they start arguing, yeah. and it gets bigger and bigger, and they start screaming at each other. And we're all sitting there like, "What? What was happening here?" <laughs> and this old man's getting right in the head, and there's he's screaming and like spits flying, and they're just screaming at each other yeah. about whose class it is, yeah. and we're just like mesmerized watching these two guys <laughs> scream. And all of a sudden, the old guy stops and he reaches up. And he grabs his forehead and he pulls his face off. What? He was a senior theater actor and it was a mask. And uh, he was, oh, his name was Conrad something. He was the best actor in the school. Yeah. And this was part of his senior project. And I was like, oh my God, that is so (laughs) cool. Like, like that he did this. And And that was like. That's what acting can be like, yeah. and we, I got the chills, you yeah. know. And I'm yeah. like, I kind of think this is awesome, <laughs> and that that hooked me. That was it. That was then. It just, that's a pretty dramatic way to get hooked. Yeah, I mean, it was it was um, it was wild. And then to my parents' horror, I just kept I declared myself a theater major. And the great thing was, it was St. Paul, Minnesota. No, we had this shitty little theater, a tiny it's little a good bu- theater town, though. Well, it, it, Minneapolis. Yeah, it, that's the truth. Minneapolis yeah. had the most theaters per capita. It was yeah. a great theater town. Yeah, had the Guthrie Theater, but there was no pressure in my college. Nobody, nobody thought about Hollywood. Right. Nobody thought right. I didn't know. I couldn't name an agent. Yeah, an agency. Of course, I didn't know. no one knew. No, I didn't, yeah, but no we were just in Minnesota, having fun, writing plays, directing plays, making little movies. You stayed there the whole four years. All four years. Yeah, and. Um, and my roommate in college was Ari Emanuel, who, who's become a successful, you know, uh, agent slash, uh, you know, yeah, he's tycoon. Big. Yeah, and, and his brother Rom, he went. To, Ari went to that little college. Yeah, he was one year ahead of me. At that he, little shitty college, he didn't get into any of his. We, it was a school full of mis, midwestern kids from you know Wisconsin and Minnesota. Is that how you met the Dylan kid? Yeah, Maria Dylan went there too. And we, did this little? Yeah, we all went to the same college. Get the fuck out yeah, of here! We all went there, but so, none of us got into so any of the schools. So this is like upper middle class fuck ups. It was upper middle class. Yeah, yeah. I would say I was. I was like lower upper middle. Upper right. Middle. Well, they're those. Yeah. yeah. We weren't upper middle. We were. We were just above middle class. But you guys had money, but well, you couldn't get into the good schools. No, so you like, end up at this shit we, school. We end up there. Why Maria William? Uh, Mar- She's Maria from Dillon, there, though, right? But, but yeah, Bob Dylan was had some Minnesota blood, and so yeah. he, she. Yeah. So she had some connection, but still, it was never clear exactly why what Maria was doing there. But like Walter Mondale went to McAllister, Hubert Humphrey went to McAllister. Really? So yeah. it's not a bad school. No, but it was on a down downward tick, I guess you would say when we were there. <laughs> right, okay. But it but, was... But, but for, you know, in terms of meeting a few people, just by coincidence we have, college... We had no idea that, like, but it was... What, what I would say, like, is, like, you know, my son 
is a freshman at University of Texas now, and and you know I see the agonizing that people go through with college. Yeah. Like you see what you know the trouble that Felicity Huffman is in or Lori Loughlin's is these right. crazy lanes that people are going to, right? Because they're just so focused and they think the college decision is so critical. I mean, for me, my college was, it was an accident. I had no idea what was going to happen. And I just truly fell into something that I really loved doing. So when did you come out to Hollywood? Right after college. On whose suggestion? I mean, why would you think to do that? Well, I was thinking about going to film school. Yeah. I, I I just had this vague... Idea. Were uh, oh, you fo- making some little films in college? Little, like horror, sixteen, eight, what? Eight millimeter I think what, videos. Like less than eight, like three. <laughs> there weren't even eight millimeter films. Yeah. But no, we would make eight millimeter yeah. films and or shoot videos. Right. Um, there was a, a but co- no hands on, no teach, no lessons. No, about no, filmmaking. none, none. But there was a college in Minneapolis called Minneapolis Minneapolis College of Art and Design. Yeah. It was actually had a decent film program, right. and I was just always interested. I would go yeah. down there and I would volunteer to work on little shoots and i had this this feeling you know i just was like in yeah deep, i can't explain it it was it was a it was a calling of some sort was that, that where you got interested in prince in minnesota yes yes oh god we used to see prince we'd get the call that prince was like going on at two in the morning at first half and we'd yeah. all go down there and it would be like prince keith richards and mick jagger the stones would have done Come a show on. yep i saw prince with i um ike and tina turner really i saw prince with um robert plant and jimmy page I saw Prince. So that was his bar? It wasn't his bar. I don't yeah. I don't think he owned it, but it was that was the bar. Yeah. First Avenue. That's yeah. where they shot um Purple Rain, the movie Purple Rain. Okay. But Prince was just beginning. The, the music in in Minneapolis at that time was Husker Du, if you remember Husker Du. The replacements were just starting. Like I get yeah. all the band bookings at my yeah. school and I booked the replacements like three times. And really? Yeah, one time Paul Westerberg, I went backstage with his check after the show, which was like for, you know, thirty two hundred dollars. Yeah. And I walked back and they were just hammered in this yeah. classroom that there was using his <laughs> he was taking his guitar and smashing it through the drywall yeah. and I just stood there and I watched him like hit like five times I'm like hey and I just ripped a check up. No, you didn't. I go, you just keep going, dude. You just bought the wall. And he was like, you didn't care. But there was like a band called The Suburbs. Yeah, sure, yeah. Who's going to do, too? Did you book them? Um, Bob Mold. Mold went to my college for two years. He went to McAllister. What? Bob Mold yeah. went, went to McAllister. He was a scary dude. He was- um, Not so scary now. No, not at all. Sweet man. He, yeah. But he would wear combat pants right. and military boots and you know black- He looked yeah, like yeah. A, a white supremacist or right, something. Right. I didn't know that he was this like very sweet, sensitive yeah. gay man. Like, yeah. And you would never know that from right. him. They were the, He's a little tortured then, I think. They, yeah, but they were loud. Like, yeah. Husker Du was a loud, loud It's amazing. It was, I for, it was really a, quite a music city. And same with Boston when I was in college. There was a lot of shit going on there, too. But that's interesting. So you knew the replacements a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I knew because... I knew Paul Westerberg a bit and the Stinson brothers, um, um, and and Prince. But yeah. and then there was Prince. You knew Prince? Well, no, I didn't know him. No. But I mean, we yeah, he was you know, go. Yeah. Um, but it was it was then it was Prince, and then there was Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis who ended up producing all of Janet Jackson's music. Uh-huh. You know, Morris Day too. Morris yeah. Day. So we'd go and watch the time. Yeah. And Steve Brill and I thought we were. Well, that that came later when we right. thought we were Morris Day and we wore right. Paisley yeah. sports jackets out right. to clubs in Hollywood like fucking morons and like trying to pick that. up girls that never worked. 
We walked a few times, actually. <laughs> but it rarely worked. It never went the way we wanted it to. So you just come out here on, like, but no one tells you to come to L.A.? You got no friends here? Or your friends with so, Maria or so what? So the only guy I really know, because everyone else moved to New York. And, yeah. and now Maria was here, but that wasn't. She was she was going to law school actually uh-huh. I remember um, I knew a guy named Sam Galetti who's uh, works for a family called the Galetti brothers yeah. down in San Pedro right. which is a very connected family Italian yeah. family was at the time and I met him when I was in college they control Terminal Island they control the port and they were a powerful Italian family yeah. like connected right like legit so you knew that guy and he invited me to stay you with went him. to college with that guy? i met him at college we had a we had an interim the month of january was so cold yeah. they would encourage you to take a do a you know some sort of program right. out of so i went to miami no i'm sorry uh, uh orlando yeah and to to this college eckerd college and there was a one month business seminar and i just yeah. want to go somewhere warm and i met sam galetti who's the son of like the Tony Soprano guy that ran yeah. the Galetti Brothers, yeah. and he was like, "Pete, if you ever come, you should come live in you know to Long Beach, San Pedro. Come to yeah. L.A. We'll show you some of the clubs in Long Beach." And, and I called Sam and go, "Hey, I'm moving to L.A." He was like, "Great." I moved to L.A. Yeah, they took care of me. I stayed at their house for a month. That's where I ended up working on a fishing boat where you gave me the guitar because huh. I needed to make money. Right. And I'm like, and Sam's like, what are you going to do for money? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I guess I'll wait tables. He's like, work on a fishing boat. You, know, you make $5,000 cash. And I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Pete, do it. And I'm fucking- Well, how'd you meet Brill? I met Brill at, I spent the summer before my, my, this this was a crazy summer, the summer before I went to college, I worked at the Concord Hotel in upstate New York. Oh, it, yeah. Which I don't think is there, but that was in like- the Catskills. The, yeah, the Jewish, the Jewish Pocono. Yeah. The Jewish Alps. Yeah. And this was this huge hotel, yeah. right? D- dining room had thousands of people, and working there was just wild. Like, it was- All Jews all the time. Yeah. And like, every, I'll be the busboy, and yeah. you'd, you'd have the same family for a week. Right. And the, the father would be like, son, come here. Yeah. And he'd pull out a $100 bill. Um, he'd rip it in half. He'd go, here, you get the other half at the end of the week if we lie, if we're happy. Yeah. And so we had all these taped $100 bills all around. Really? But, but we had the shit job. Brill got to work in the bar at the comedy club at the at the um at the uh concord. concord he had this like brill just always knew how to work it like i had the shittiest job there brill had the the best job yeah. there so we knew each other from that <clears throat> summer and we became good friends and then um like th- two years into la i'm at the coconut teaser do you remember yeah. that up on which, sunset sunset where um, Heights. where hyde is the, yeah. the club hyde now yeah which the coconut teaser was a great wild club yeah. where like they had like eight different bars and it's right at crescent heights crescent right? heights yeah. and sunset yeah. but you could get like lobsters and tequila shots at yeah. four in the morning it was this crazy club yeah. Yeah. and i was waiting in line to get a lobster and a tequila shot at four in the morning <laughs> and i hear like yeah. and it's brill and i'm like you know i really loved him and, yeah. and i still do i always will love him yeah. like i will always love you um but we just in- immediately reconnected and um, so after the fishing boat, when do you start like doing show business? Because Brill's doing like because Brill seemed to like know what he was going to so, do the whole time. So the first job I ever got yeah. was working as on a Eurythmics video called Missionary Man, and Brill knew somebody who knew somebody. Somebody Brill was the bottom line product, bottom barrel 
PA. Yeah. He got me in to be right under me. So all he did was order me around. And like <laughs> yeah. I had to go get ice at yeah. four in the morning at Vons. Yeah. And some guy like pulled up in a car as I was loading the ice in my car and he was like, Do you know where the one thirty four freeway is? And I'm like, I think you go up and he's just staring at me with this kind of odd look. Yeah. And I'm like, You go up, you know, to to Vine and you and, and then he's like, I'll give you twenty five dollars if I can blow you right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what? Yeah. He's like, I'll give you $25. I'm like, no, 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 no. Come on, you did it. I got $40. <laughs> yeah. I did not do it. Yeah. But I come back, I'm like, bro, this is horrible. What? This isn't show business. I'm being propositioned in the parking lot of Vons with ice. It is show business. It kind of is. <laughs> and that was my first shoot that I ever worked on. Was that Missionary you? Man? Yeah, this was when like Annie Lennox and Dave Stewart were huge. Yeah, right. Um, and then it just kind of, that started just spiraling and just hundreds of production jobs. You know, I worked as a, I worked in almost every job. As a PA? As a PA, as a prop guy, as a grip, as a go do whatever what, it is. What, assistant? So you can't be a grip without being a grip. No, like a PA grip. Right, like the, right. But yeah, back yeah. then in independent films that were non-union, you could actually be a grip. Yeah. And like they bring you in as a PA, but you're hauling Dolly. So K. that's sort of how you learned what, what everything was? Yeah, it was like film school for me. And I, but, learned, I learned quite a bit. So, so, so then, then I wanted to, then I started missing acting because in college I did act a lot. I remember you, but you were friends with Jacob too. I talked to Jacob here. Or Jacob friend, Dylan? Dylan? Yeah, years yeah, ago. Yeah, well he, because I would hang out in Maria's, in the Dylan house. Sarah Dillon yeah. and I can remember like you told me one of the funniest stories Dillon with the noses yeah that's the best so that story. was the first the first time I ever went into that house in Beverly Hills yeah. I went up and I'm standing it's this big house you know and I've yeah. never been in these kind of I'm standing by the door and I'm knocking and no one's and I kind of turn it and the door opens a little bit and it's this big entryway and I can hear screaming like, yeah. but it's coming from way down this hallway yeah. and I kind of like Maria Maria and I kind of am, you know that you're sort of slowly walking into a house, yeah. but you don't want to. And I, I, I'm standing there and I'm looking down this hall. All of a sudden the door opens and it's at the end of the hall, it's it's Bob Dylan. And he slams the door and he's coming at me charging like pissed, right? Yeah. And I'm frozen. I'm locked eyes with Dylan. And he stops and he turns back around. He goes back to the door and he opens the door and he goes, and I ain't paying for no more noses. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the Dylan daughters had... I guess had a series of nose reconstructive yeah. enhancement yeah, yeah. surgeries. Sure. She wasn't happy. She yeah. wanted another one. Yeah. And Dylan was having none of it. <laughs> it's a no job. And, and nose he, job. he screamed, "I ain't paying for no more noses!" And then he just stormed right by me. Didn't didn't acknowledge me yeah. and stormed out of the house. <laughs> and that was it. Yeah, Did that, you ever meet him again? Oh yeah, I met him a bunch of times. Yeah. I used to go to his boxing gym. So my I got. Dylan has a boxing gym in Santa Monica, and where we used to go, kind of yeah. just like private gym. And I spent spent a lot of time with them. And then I left and started, you know, my own boxing gym. Oh, so you have a boxing gym? Yeah, I own a boxing gym in Santa Monica, Churchill Boxing. And you and Jacob still friends? Uh, like, to, not really. I haven't yeah. seen him a long time, but we're not. It just because you were there off. at the beginning of the Wallflowers, like well, you guys I, were playing. So I remember um, sitting with Jacob. Um, at waiting for Maria at the yeah. same house, and we're watching MTV, and that Prince video to Kiss came on. Yeah, and and we're watching, and, J and Jacob was just like had a guitar, was just like you know picking right. at it, and within forty seconds he was playing the song like he had it. Down. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, damn. Yeah. And I'm like, is that normal that you could just pick up? He was like, I don't know, but he was he was, she, but and he was probably 
uh, maybe 15 at the time, maybe, right. maybe not even. Yeah. But he was, um, it was a very talented family. A lot of, a lot of guitars around. So, but so you started acting because I remember the mm. I, I remember like the the weird one with who's it Linda Fiorentino? Oh yeah, Last Seduction. The Last Seduction, you were in that, and then I remember like did you didn't you and Brill both do Twenty One Jump Street? Yeah, Twenty One Jump Street was my first job, and um, I had uh, I got I got cast for me. I was playing in a softball game. I was playing catcher with no face mask on. Yeah, in North Hollywood. And some dude came up and ripped it hard, foul tipped it right into my mouth, yeah, and blew up blew up my mouth and ripped my whole face open. And um, Steve Brill's uncle, the one that the plastic, plastic surgeon, surgeon yeah. he put like two hundred stitches in my mouth for free because I had no health insurance, yeah. and sort of fixed me up. So I own that. But but th- that that's why your lips fucked up. Is it, is it fucked up? No, I'm just wondering. Yeah, uh, yeah if it, if my lips fucked up, it, it's yeah. a little scar, Dude, right? It was yeah, it was like. All the way down the middle, it was like just two pieces of meat hanging off my face from a softball. Yeah, but that was a. I said I wish it was a better story. But a <laughs> no, softball. I was a first. I was a hard softball. Sure. Yeah. Like to this day, if you ever see someone playing catcher yeah. in a softball game, even if it's a soft softball, this was a hard softball. Yeah. And he's like, he's. I see it all the time. Some guys just casual. Or some girls stand. Thinks it's a safe position. You're yeah. behind. They don't understand what can happen. A hard swing and a foul tip. They, they, say a pitch is coming in at right. 20 miles an hour right. or 10 miles an hour. Yeah. A hard foul tip can jettison that ball to 30, 40 miles an hour and it hits you in the face. You got to wear a mask. It's like getting, you've got to wear like, I, for a long time, would stop if I was driving by a softball game of strangers. Come on. And be like, you got to wear a mask. Or like, they'll put a little kid behind there who's just, ugh, yeah. a little kid. Yeah. Like, that's crazy. It's You could get killed by Wear a mask, that. Pete Berg says. So so uh, I have like, I've got like three Vicodin in me, yeah. 200 stitches, and Ari and I are doing what we always do on Saturday nights because we, we have no money and yeah. no, we're not, we're just driving around. You right? and Gross? We, no, Ari Emanuel. Oh, Ari Emanuel. We're driving yeah. um, up and down Laurel Canyon. Bennett. We just had nothing to do. Is he do. your agent? No, we're just friends. Oh. He was an assistant at um, CA at the time. And uh, we see this giant party, right? You know, yeah. all these cars and valets. Right. And we're like, let's go. Yeah. You know, and so we like park and somehow sneak in this party. And uh, it was the woman that produced One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I can't remember her name, but it was her house. Yeah. Um, and I thought Mike Douglas produced. Well, he was one of them, but there's, oh. a, there's a woman also oh. if you look it up who was like the main producer. Okay, um, who produced it with Michael Douglas, and um, we go in. It's a big party. There's security, but somehow we get in. And yeah. I, my my face looks like a baseball's a, a deformed baseball's attached to it. Like I yeah. look like a I look like the Elephant Man, <laughs> yeah. like some version right. of the Elephant Man, and. Um, uh, we get in and we get this big buffet of food and we're sitting down and I go sit because we're hungry because yeah. we have no money. It's all this food. I just want to eat and I'm eating, but I can't really get the food in my mouth because it's falling on yeah. my, I'm sitting by the fireplace on the stone and all of a sudden I'm looking down and I'm staring, trying to get the food in my mouth yeah. and I hear, I sense someone standing over me and I hear, what are you doing? And I look up and there's this woman standing yeah. that kind of looks like Cher. Yeah. I think it is Cher. Yeah. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry, and I'm and we're gonna leave. She's like, yeah. No, I'm just asking, what are you doing? And what the fuck is wrong with your face? So yeah. I started trying to tell her my story. She's like, Are you an actor? I'm like, Well, kinda. Yeah. You know, I sort of wanna be. And she's yeah. like, Call me. And that was a woman named Lori Rodkin, who at the time was like the star manager. She had, uh, did Brad Pitt, she did Robert Danny Jr., yeah. she did. Um, uh, Judd Nelson, Virginia Manson, Sarah Jessica Parker. Yeah, yeah. but and, and others. Yeah. She was like, 
if Lori Rodkin blessed you, yeah. and Lori Rodkin, for some reason, took an interest in me, and it was literally, you know, so people ask, like, well, how do you get in a business? I'm going to classes. I'm, I had <laughs> 200 stitches, three Vicodin, and I had snuck into a party and was opening my mouth really? to get, like, beef in there, yeah. and, and this woman thought that was, it, I caught her attention, and she immediately got an agent to sign me just because she said so and yeah. that led to my first audition ever which was for an episode of 21 jump street holy wh- shit where i played a bully that extorted money giving giving wedgies to students really yeah and at the end of the movie johnny depp and peter deloise gave me a wedgie at the end of the episode of 21 jump street but then you sort of like but you still you acted for like a bunch mm. of shit yeah yeah i did i mean but that was sort of your main bag I mean, you were, were you were, did a little bit in in Brill's movie. You were in Aspen Extreme. I mm-hmm. remember though, I ran into you and you're like, "Shocker! You were Shocker, Shocker Boy." Yeah, uh, yeah every time you go to the airport, yeah. it's Shocker Boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that brought me up with the um, uh, African American community greatly. Yeah, and the Midnight Clear that that got you good reviews. Ari Gross was in that too. Yeah, yeah, he was in that one. And then like the weird movie with Linda Fiorentino. Yeah, that was the first one that actually kind of hit. It, it didn't make money, but it was. It was um, the last seduction, and that was the one that was like the yeah. first film that was like, you know, John Dahl directed it. And, Aspen Extreme, which was a cult classic, by the way. Okay, fine. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I've had people. My character's name was Dexter Ritecki. Yeah. I've met a lot of kids named Dexter Ritecki, <laughs> so it would be like not just Dexter Marin, it's Dexter Ritecki Marin. I get those it. You. They named them the full name. So, but yeah, but it, but you did Copland, but so so you're saying that the last seduction is the one that got you some attention, and you were sort of in it. Well, that was the first like legit. I did a lot of fucking movies. Yeah, dude. I did. I was acting. I was acting my ass off, and and it was James Mangold when I did Copland. I was. I had a small role in Copland, and yeah. at the time, Copland was um, should have been a great movie. Well, it was the movie. This was yeah, I Harvey Weinstein in yeah. his glory days, yeah. right? All the power in the world. He had Robert De Niro in it. Yeah. He had Stallone, who gained all this weight, who was going back to like trying yeah. to win an Oscar. Uh, De Niro, Ray Liotta, Harvey Keitel. This was yeah. the movie, and I yeah. had a small part in it, and. Um, I would sit there on the set, you know, I would be waiting for a bunch of people and yeah. then I'd wait for my line, right, you know. Yeah. And and I was watching this young director, James Mangold, who's had a tremendous career, you know, just did Ford versus Ferrari and has, yeah. you know, done many great films. Um, did he and, do that remake of Yuma or the last? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, 310 to Yuma. Yeah. Yeah, he did that. That's good. He's had a great career. Yeah. I mean, this was his, he'd done some little art film and yeah. Harvey Weinstein saw him and yeah. he got this... Copland. Uh, you know, Copland, and but I re- I would sit there and I'm like I would be watching I was bored out of my mind and I was watching this young kid you know I was my age and he's in the middle of like you know arguing with De Niro and negotiating with Stallone and having these and here's Harvey Weinstein and he's and I'm like whoa that looks like that's where the action is yeah what's that job yeah and and you know I knew I knew what a director was yeah. but I'm like wait he's my age like right. can he wrote if I one day I'm like James can I talk to him like how do you how do you do this he's like you got to write. You got to write a movie. Yeah. If you write a movie, you have a shot. They can't. You can hold your own. You right. Can, you you can fight back. Yeah. Right. Um, and I'm like, wow, okay. How do you write a movie? <laughs> yeah. He's yeah. like, would well, you have an idea? And I kind of did have an idea. He's like, what I do is I take note cards and I write like first scene, second scene, and I and when that's all done, yeah, I start writing it. But I don't write until I kind of have a good idea. So I'm like, okay, I'm down with that. 
And, and at the time, I was staying at the Essex House Hotel in, on Central Park yeah. South. Do you know the hotel? Yeah. So it's like this beautiful hotel. What were you doing there? That's where they put me. They for these, the movie. Yeah, for the yeah. movie. I was living at this hotel. And... Um, the, most of the rooms look out over Central yeah. Park, and it's big. It used, to advertise, it used to be on SNL. They used to like all of the guests of SNL. Sta- right. the back but those, in the day, and, yeah, because yeah, you know these beautiful views yeah, of the yeah. city. But I wasn't in one of those rooms. I was on the back side. I was in the cheap side, looking right? at Jersey, looking at a well, not even, not even, just looking at a wall. Right, like, yeah. I had this tiny little room, like maybe three hundred square feet yeah. with a bed. And I would, and I immediately went and bought note cards and pens and and. Did what James Mangold, his system, which was that you color coded according to characters. And I would come home, and so all the actors would be going out partying, going out, I'd be like, no, I'm going back to my room. And I would start writing out like scene one, uh-huh. uh, this character and this character are getting their wedding license, scene two, scene three. And until I, and I would lay the cards out, I would come back every night and lay the cards out. And I had to push all the furniture aside because the room was so small. And I had this whole floor of my room, and some was all right, this, yeah. my script. And I came back one day, and the cleaning lady had put all the cards away, right? Yeah. And I hadn't numbered them, so I'm like, "Oh, fuck that!" I'm like, oh. "And I had talked to her. I'm like, please don't do that. I'm yeah. writing, I'm writing uh, um, uh, a script." And she's like, "What is a script? I go to a movie." And I'm like, well, what's the movie about?" And I, I tell her, right? Um, and she steals uh, her, her idea, her na- and her name is her, Jennifer Lopez. Her, her name, her name was Elena. Yeah, and she. I start telling Elena about this movie, which is going to be about four guys that go to Vegas and accidentally kill a hooker and yeah. the barrier in the woods and all. And she's like, my writing, like, mute. Like, I'm telling, and she's like, what's going to happen next? Well, I'm like, well, then they're going to they're gonna come back and one of them's going to rat, be about to rat and they're going to kill him. She's like, oh, I like it, right? <laughs> and so she, I've got the, the, the room, yeah. the, my whole room is the script. It's yeah. all over, all over the walls. I'm yeah. like, I'm like crazy, right? Like, yeah. I'm living in my script. Yeah. And I'm deep into it, and I'm going to work, and I just want to come back and write. Yeah. And I come back, and I try to put my key in the door, and the door won't open, right? Which happened. You know, those like magnetic yeah, sure. yeah. So we go down the lobby. I'm like, uh, my key. And they're like, oh, oh manager comes up, Mr. Berg. We had, we, we had a problem. We had to change rooms. I'm like, what? My, it's like I have this system that's like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I can barely, I'm like, what? Yeah. So I'm sorry, but there's a problem. Come with me. So we go, I mean, you know, I was on like the third floor yeah. in the back, right? Yeah. So we go, now we're on like the 34th floor. We're up, going up high and we get off and I go to go left to where the cheap rooms are. Away, and she's going, we're this way. And we start going to the right to where the good rooms are. Yeah. I'm like, what the? F-? And we start walking down the hall and we're going by the rooms and there's that, like, you know how they have suites at the end? Sure. And we're getting this suite, like the double door and it's like the park suite or something. Yeah. And it's getting closer and I'm looking to turn and she walks right up to the park suite. And she opened the door and it's this big ass suite, right? Yeah. And living room and yeah, dining area. Yeah, yeah. And they pulled out all the furniture and they laid out my whole script for me. <laughs> and she goes, Elena's been telling us about what you're doing. We at the Essex House want you to know we support you and want you to be <laughs> successful and do it. And I still get choked up. And I, she goes, she finished your script. And and that was my first movie, Very Bad Things. That's that's where that movie came from. Wow. And that became the beginning of me wanting to not, you know, I, I started, I love acting, but then I got bit. And for anyone that hasn't seen Very Bad Things, what we like to say is Very Bad Things walked so the hangover could run, okay? And I've told Todd that before. <laughs> yeah. Like, we were we were a little bit ahead of ourselves and maybe not quite as organized as the hangover was. Right. But we were, a, 
dark story set, you know, four or five guys go to Vegas for a bachelor party and some very bad things happen. After you do very bad things, does that automatically put you in the running as a director that can do things? I mean, how do you get jobs so, after that? So you... very bad things was pretty unanimously just uh, devastated, ravished by the critics, right? No one liked it. Well, there were a couple. So well, the, thing about, saying, the yeah. thing, thing about very bad things was interesting was for every 10 negative reviews, and there were some real, yeah. real bad reviews. Read Anyone that thinks they've gotten a bad review in their career, yeah. read my review of uh, Kenneth Turan, LA Times review of, my, of very, very bad things. And I've done this with friends of mine, directors, yeah. I've got freaking out about a review, I'm like, dude, yeah. you have no idea what a bad review feels. <laughs> read, read Kenneth okay. Turan's review of very bad things if you have a free moment, just, okay. if you're sitting on the toilet. Um, but for every 10, there would be one great review right, right? yeah so there'd just be just enough that pe- so i'm like going through this disaster of like the film didn't make any money and it's, i'm getting these bad reviews and yeah. i like literally threw up at one point and i was like devastated and i get a call and it's from um a guy named ron meyer who yeah. ran universal studios yeah. very powerful guy He's calling me. It's an international call, yeah. and he's with David Geffen and Steven Spielberg on vacation on a boat. Yeah, and they had just watched Very Bad Things, and they and Steven gets on. He's like, "I love this movie." David Geffen gets on. Pete, you made me laugh. I needed to laugh. That's David Geffen and Steven yeah. Spielberg, and I'm like, I'm getting ravished by the critics, right? Yeah. And then Ron Meyer's like, "Pete, you got to make a movie for us at Universal. You got to," and that. Went, Holy shit! It was shit. that that moment got me the rundown. This movie I did with Dwayne that Johnson, was a big movie. Which yeah, that was my. You know, but it went from like I was done. I was done. Like, but you I, managed to like so. Uh, but we didn't even talk about that. So you finished your script for Very Bad Things, and then how did you set up the movie? I got I got um, Christian Slater to be in it. Yeah, who um, was had a, a little juice then. Was a huge star then. Yeah. yeah, had a lot of juice. And I got Cameron Diaz, who had just done The Mask. Yeah. I got John Favreau, who no one knew. Right. I got Jeremy Piven, who no one knew, um, and Daniel Stern. But it was Christian Slater that pulled, was the um, trigger for the money. Okay. And, and, and you did it independently or you set up a studio? So, so we did it independently um, with this company, Graham King, who has yeah. gone on to make a fortune, who did... Um, oh, he produced the, the Queen movie and, yeah. and others. Um but the whole movie was hinging on Christian Slater. Okay. And it took us months to close his deal. We didn't yeah. have that much money to pay him. And finally, we closed the deal. Um, and cr- like three days before we are supposed to start shooting, Christian calls me. He's like, we're in. We're doing it. Yeah. And I'm like, great. And he goes, let's celebrate. And we go out. And I didn't, didn't know Christian that well. Yeah. And we, Christian at the time, could really go. Yeah. And we were really going. And at a certain point, I'm like, I got to go home. You know, I start shooting yeah. in three days. Like, yeah. so I, and I go home, and at five in the morning the next day, I get a call from the lawyer of the company that's putting up the money. He's like, yeah. are you watching this? I'm like, what? You're, is your TV, turn your fucking TV on now. And it was actor Christian Slater arrested for attempted murder of an L.A. police officer. That night? That night, after I left. And I'm like, uh. we've been, we'd spent three months trying to get the movement. <laughs> you can Google it. It's all in there. <laughs> Christian... Went a little hard and yeah. was went to another couple of parties after I went home. Yeah, and the cops came to one of them and suggested that he, you know, leave. Yeah, and he got into a little tussle with the cop and somehow got the cop's gun. Oh, and shit. they they don't like that. Yeah, but so we he miraculously was able to stay in the movie and go to jail after the movie wrapped. 
Um, cause and then he convinced- cleaned up? Yeah, he cleaned up, and he's doing great. But Christian was the one who, it was him. He was a huge star back then. The attachment, his, the, you his, attached him. His attachment got to And then, up. like, you get this amazing call, and so you do the, the rundown, right? Yep. And then, but then, like, so, but, so now you're going... Now, how do you, how are you figuring out the style that you sort of get known for? Because Friday Night Lights and then on into Hancock, that you you have a certain way of lighting and a certain pace, or yeah. like a crackling to it. That yeah. seems, was that from working with a specific DP? So um, it came you from know what I'm talking yeah. About? Well, so I shoot a lot of handheld cameras and I do a lot of improvisation and I like things to feel very real. Yeah. Right. So okay. that's like the method behind my madness for when you're coming on the set and being like, Mark, just go over there and start yeah, doing right. this. I don't want you thinking too much. I'm, yeah. I'm watching you very closely. And yeah. You actually had a really hard job in uh, Spencer Confidential. He's got a huge amount of. Story. Information, yeah, yeah. you know, um, um, backstory that yeah. had to get out. That was, you know, actually, if you're paying attention, it's interesting, but it, it's very hard to do. Right. You know, one of the things, are, one of the reasons I thought you were could do it is, you know, you you're you're a great orator and you've got stand up experience yeah. and you know how to drill, deliver lines and yeah. you understand, you know, the power of the spoken word. Right. And um, I, I thought it required that, but I my approach is like, all right, I'm just going to watch Mark and see what he's doing, and rather than trying to control Mark, yeah, I'm going to be there to to help or to guide or to you know encourage you. Right. To, you know, if things really go sideways, okay, but you were able to deliver, and that came from I I really learned how to direct when I was an actor in Chicago Hope. Yeah. Where we would do, but you know, nowadays people do TV series. They do eight episodes, right? Yeah, That's right. like you know, a TV series succession yeah. is eight episodes, yeah. ten maybe. Well, we were doing twenty-eight episodes a season, twenty-eight right. episodes of TV. That would like people don't understand eight hours a day, uh, eight days a week. We would shoot sixteen hours a day, and so I would have twenty-eight different directors right. that I could learn from. And, and you we, did like a hundred episodes of that. I did a lot, yeah. Until I did very bad things and then asked to leave the show and I got written off the show because all the other actors wanted more and I wanted to start directing. Yeah. But I learned, you know, we would have all these directors. You must have gotten checks for that for years, Chicago yeah, Hope. We did, I did okay. <laughs> I did okay. Uh, you know, back then there were only three networks and we would be on Thursday nights opposite ER at 10 o'clock and we would come in second, we would lose to ER every Thursday and ER would have 39 million viewers yeah. and we'd have 34 million viewers. Right. And everybody would be furious. He'd be like, God damn ER, they're <laughs> killing us. I mean, 34 million viewers wow. every Thursday. It was crazy. Like I was famous. Yeah. Um, but I would look at all these directors and we would have two types of directors. Like we'd have these older guys that wanted to be feature directors. Yeah. Who who wanted to prove they still had it, right? Yeah. And they'd be like setting up marks and talking to you about your character and taking hours to light shit, right? Yeah. And they would be bad. And the worst ones would be the young graduates from the film schools, schools right? Right. Like, I just graduated, graduated USC film school, yeah. blah, blah, blah. I'm going to show you what if... And, and we would waste so much time. Yeah. And it was so tedious and slow. So the second I started directing and having real control, which yeah. was fr- Friday Night Lights, I'm like, we're shooting handheld, we're improvising, we're winging it, we're going to... I want to destroy... Um, the preciousness of filmmaking. That's yeah. just never been my style. I, yeah. I, there, Chris Nolan is a, obviously a wonderfully talented filmmaker and I love his movies. That's not the way I work. Well, who are your guys then? Who do you like look to? Like who, like who are your, either your, your mentors or your, uh, 
uh, contemporaries that you know you can sit and compare notes with. I mean, I, director, Todd kind of shoots, uh, Phillips shoots kind of. Yeah, like that. I mean, directors are are we're sort of islands. It's yeah. rare that we all get together and sure. talk, but right. we do. Like, I do have quite a bit of respect for Todd. Yeah, um, I like Alfonso Cuarón quite a bit. Um, you know, Michael Mann has always been a bit of a mentor to me. He's yeah. produced a couple of my films and someone who I've looked up to. And um, we, we have different styles of work. Um, John Favreau is someone, you know, who I've remained close with. And uh-huh. I, you know, I tend to, um, I know how hard it is to do it, to do the job consistently. You know, it's like someone comes out and makes a great movie, a first movie, and everyone's talking. And I'm kind of like, okay, good, let's do it again. Well, yeah, and now and, you do like when you do these really big movies. Though it's like, what is it about? What is the disposition necessary? I guess because I've noticed it from working with directors. I mean, you got to be pretty focused and not overwhelmed with uh, you know what's resting on your shoulders. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, um, you know, I, I direct all kinds of things. I just directed a documentary on Rihanna. I followed her for three years. Yeah. It comes out later this year. I just directed two Super Bowl commercials. Um, you know, I'm getting ready to direct a TV series for Netflix, a limited series. I've directed little things, big things, medium things. For me, I treat it all equally the same. I really don't think about the money. I think about, I don't, I I just try to focus on the moment and capture, like, make every moment as as real and as good as But do you have a DP that you use regularly? Yeah, Tobias Schleser, a German DP. And I, I have a, a team of guys that I've worked with, like my core group, my editor, my DP, my first AD, yeah. my visual effects guys, my special effects guys. You know, it's like, you know, because I work a lot, so I'm almost always on a film set. It's it's very helpful to have a shorthand with those people. And, you know, we've all had horrible breakdown fight, you know, knockdown, drag yeah. out fights and, and, you know, also been there for each other and yeah. through thick and thin. And um, so as a result, I've kind of reached a point where I'm like, I'm, I'm like when I first started directing, Mark, when I was doing very bad things, I didn't know what I was doing, right? Uh-huh. If you walked up to me and said, good morning, I'd be like, fuck you, Mark. What do you mean, good morning? Yeah. Fuck does that mean? Yeah. You'd be like, Pete, I'm just saying yeah. good morning, right. dude. Really, yeah. that's all it means. Can I get you breakfast? I was so insecure yeah. and I didn't know what I was doing that I was, I was tense, you know? Yeah. Now, I've done a few of them. I'm not. I don't have that insecurity. Right. So I'm much more relaxed. I'm much more willing to let things flow. If an actor looks at me and goes, "I don't understand what we're doing," I might easily say, "I don't. I don't either." Like, yeah, like, yeah. But what are we doing? I, I really don't know. I haven't figured it out yet. You Let's work see. with big guys now. I mean, you work with big actors. I mean, like, what, what are, what are some of the challenges of that? Like, you dealing with like John Malkovich on yeah. two movies. I mean, most actors love this style. Like when I did, when I did. Um, uh, Hancock with Will Smith at Will Smith, Jason That's Bateman. That's a good movie. Yeah, yeah at Will Smith, Jason Bateman, and Charlize Theron. Right, three right. pretty heavy hitters. And Will had heard I had worked with Jason Bateman, and Will had heard about how I shoot, which is very loose. With I'll, I'll, I won't cut. I'll keep talking. I'll talk yeah. to you during the shot. But you try you saying, talk over the intercom. Yeah, so try saying this. Try saying. You always use that the intercom a lot. Because bullhorn. Because well, I can stare. We, uh, we stay call on it, the monitor. I can stare at the monitor, and I feel like I'm in your brain. I can be like, Mark, try doing this. Say this, Mark. Mark yeah, just yeah. Tell yeah. them. Tell them that. Uh, yeah, it's just like speakers. Okay. Uh, ask them why there's two steering wheels, Mark. Yeah, right. You know, whatever it is. Yeah, right. Yeah. And 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 if if I sense that you're cool with it, which most actors are, it's like I'm just like in your head, and because I've acted, 
I'm not afraid of, you know, some directors are terrified of actors because they think there's some magic thing around them if they touch the wrong yeah. button, the actor's going to explode. Right. I, I, I sometimes like to be touched and pushed yeah. around right. and told what to do, right? So, I'm, so when we're doing um, Hancock, Bateman, who I'd work with, told Will. And so Will was interested and he asked me a lot of questions and I told him, I showed him how I do it. And he's like, yeah. yeah, let's do that. And he hired me and then we brought Charlize on. And the first day of rehearsal, Charlize was like, can I talk to you? I'm like, yep. And she's like, I've heard about that thing that you do and you know, Will likes it. And I just, you know, I don't, I don't do that. I don't, I don't want that. And you know, I need to cut and I need to regroup. And I'm like, okay, no problem. We'll do it. And she's like, okay, cool. So the first day of shooting, we're shooting, and I'm, you know, we're sh- I'm getting into coverage, on, and I'm talking to Will, and, yeah. and I'm talking to Jason, and then we get to Charlie's stuff. I do take, I cut. Yeah. And I'm sitting there going, okay. And she's looking at me, and I'm looking at her, and the hair and the makeup people come, and they're all yeah. fun. I'm like, should we do it again? Yeah, sure. Do it again. Yeah. Cut. Yeah. And then, but halfway through at lunch, she comes up to me. She goes, "That thing you're doing with Will and Jay, do that with me. I like that." And it was like, it's. I've never had an actor not love it. You know, yeah. the, the only, um, the only negative reaction sometimes is like, "Wow, that like we get it quickly." You know, actors are used to working oh, on something yeah. for four or five yeah, hours. Yeah, when you the way you shot this one that I was in, I'm like, "How's he going to make a movie out of that?" I didn't. I couldn't even do the last part. Yeah, and so sometimes actors are like, are "You sure it just went by so fast?" Yeah. It was like, um, but that came from me hating the preciousness that I was that was kind of pounded on me when I was acting in television in Chicago Hope and these yeah. directors would like and you'd see that you'd you'd shoot eighteen hour days yeah. and ninety percent of the footage never made it into the final product. So it's all a waste of time anyway. And I think also that kind of wears down actors too in the sense of like it feels like what am I garbage? What am I just Yep. Yeah, like, you're, do, do, I'm, unless you're a huge actor, it's like, do they even respect what you're doing? It takes yeah. all the joy out of the process. It and does. That, yeah. That's why I was so hell bent on getting out of television acting at the time. It was really kind of a treadmill to oblivion. Yeah, you know, someone described it to me once as like you just, it's it's no fun. I mean, it's well now everyone's going back to television because yeah, television is all um, where it is. But, but yeah, but time, it's much different. This was yeah, back yeah. at the time. Three networks. You were three networks. You were doing twenty eight episodes a season. It was just, and we were on the same three sound stages or the same two sound stages. Yeah. We're in the same blue scrubs. I was a bowel doctor, so I was always doing the bowel surgeries. Yeah. Maybe that's where I learned about the prolapsed bowels. <laughs> Probably. But like, I'd be cutting animal intestines and sewing them up all day. I'm like, this is crazy. This is like, this is not what people think it is um but then there were guys like david kelly who people know don't necessarily know who david kelly is but you know he's but the most prolific television yeah. writer i know of and it and producer the, and producer he's doing pretty little pretty little liars now the the show on yeah. hbo with uh, nicole great, Kermit, yeah. which i like um but he at the time who was what was the big one with Kalisa Flockhart? Who oh, was it? Uh, the first big that, one? Uh, Ali McBeal. Ali McBeal. I mean, yeah, he's yeah. done uh, and he did the one with William Shatner and yeah. James Spader. Yeah. But at the time, he was doing a show called Picket Fences, which was a very popular show, yeah. and he was doing Chicago Hope. Yeah. Both were Emmy Award, not consistently. I mean, he was writing what's twenty eight by twenty. He was writing fifty six episodes of television every season two episodes a week by himself of two different shows, he'd write all of it. And that was where the action was. And David Kelly was so prolific. And nobody's ever, ever put up statistics do, like that. But do you, di- so when you made the, when Friday Night Lights got popular and you <clears throat> and you sold it to television somehow, yeah. how did you get that story? 
How'd you, why'd you choose Friday so, Night Lights? So my cousin is Buzz Bissinger. Um, I just made a documentary on him, or was involved in it. Oh, the guy who wrote it? Yeah, who wrote it. You should watch the documentary. called Bu- It's called Buzz. It's on HBO. Okay. He's a genius. You, you would like him. You yeah. should have him on your show at some time. Okay. He is a... You've never heard of him? No, not until now. So he's a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. He's written... Uh, I used to write for um, Philadelphia Inquirer. And he's your cousin? Times, my cousin. And he wrote the book Friday Night Lights. Yeah. And he went and lived in Texas and... You know, it's this like short Jew who's now like cross-dressing and trisexual and yeah. has d- deeply into S&M and yeah. all kinds of crazy stuff. But this Harvard-educated, very, very intelligent, wonderful guy yeah. who's just had a, an incredible plot twist in the second half yeah. of his life. Um, Wanted wrote, to try something new. He did. He tried a, a lot <laughs> of new things. <laughs> so watch the Doc Buzz. Okay. Um uh, he wrote the book and I loved the book and I was starting my career and yeah. before Rundown he's like you should make this and they couldn't get a director to make it but after Rundown I had a little bit of clout and I'm like I'm gonna make Friday Night Lights yeah. and that um, that was really the beginning of my directing career taking off you know I went and I lived with a football team in Texas for a year and yeah. kind of walked in the shoes that Buzz Bissinger had walked in and fell in love with that culture you know and realized that football um, you know, was more than a game to those to those people, and it was a way that culture, that you know, neighborhoods and towns and communities sure. were organizing themselves, and it was, um, it was a big deal. And while we were filming the movie, we would film some real playoff games, high yeah. school football playoff games, so we could cut those into the film. And I was at a high school game in um, Austin, Texas. We have two cameras there, and I'm watching the game. And in the fourth quarter, it's a close game, and the home team's coming back. There's 55,000 people at a high school football game. Place going crazy. I mean, it's wild. Yeah. And in the um, fourth quarter, the uh, home team throws a pass, and the receiver goes up for it, and this defender hits the guy with his head and tackles him hard. And the defender, who's a 15-year-old boy named David Edwards, broke his neck and was an instant quadriplegic. And, and I was there. And it was chilling, and the place went dead quiet. Did the guy tackle them? Yeah, because he lowered his head, and right. that's how you break your neck. If you hit, hit someone with the top of your head, yeah. your, your neck can go any way but down. Right. And so it's called an explosion fracture, yeah. and the explosion fractured his vertebrate, and um, it was the really the, the first truly horrible thing I think I ever witnessed. And the stadium went dead quiet. And the only sound you could hear was his mother screaming, but you couldn't figure out where she was screaming and screaming. And she came on the field, and you could just tell this was a horrible accident. And he became a quadriplegic, and I got to know him well, and he ended up dying three years after, three years later. But I, I felt after the movie like I still had so much connection mm. to that culture yeah and then i wanted to do a tv series so i wrote the pilot and and in the pilot the first episode the quarterback the the star breaks his neck and i really did it just because i think i I had i wanted to get something i wanted to do something about david edwards and then it just turned into this kind of popular tv show yeah indeed but you produced it how many did you write I wrote like the first two. Oh, so you didn't do a David no, Kelly thing? No, either. hell no. Jason Kadams deserves like, you know, I directed a bunch of them yeah. and, and came in and did the casting for the reloading for the um, for the second season when we brought like um, Michael right. B. Jordan and some of the other actors. But I couldn't, I ran one show called Wonderland before that about- I know, you brought me in on that one. Uh, on a psychiatric hospital. No, the psychiatric hospital? Yeah. Don't you remember? That's what I was in New York- and you, you, I think you gave the the part that I read for to Esposito, or no, to Piven. 
Oh, right. Yeah, Piven had a part in it. Yeah. Uh, like it was a, almost a like a stand-up part. Yeah, stand-up you comedian had me come who, in and read yeah, for I'm it. sure I did. Stand-up comedian who went insane, yeah. But, and then, but was there another one? Was Giancarlo in one of them? Yeah, Giancarlo was in, that's a really good one. He played, he was in a, so Wonderland was about, was a little, a little ahead of its time. Right, no, because I think, like, you know, you were thinking of me for the stand-up, and then, but then I read for, for the Esposito part, because he was on the floor, I was on the floor. Yeah, that was, a, that was a multiple personality character. He had, like, eight characters. Yeah, I couldn't, it was out of my ballpark, that but was, I, I remember sitting that, there with you. That was an acting, yeah. uh, he was a beast in that, Giancarlo. I think I read for both of them. Dude, I'm glad, right. I'm glad we've been able to work together. <laughs> um, but what, what happened with that show, though? Like you got well, so it was it was a show, uh, uh, you know, on it, did, it was on ABC, right, owned yeah. by Disney, and it followed Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Yeah, and it was a very very dark show about a psychiatric hospital, right. about mentally yeah, ill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in the pilot, in the opening, um, you know, the opening episode, yeah, a doctor. Uh, a, a guy goes and shoots up a bunch of people in New York, yeah. and and they bring him in, and the doctor, this pregnant female psychiatrist, there, yeah. recognizes him because he had come in two days earlier, and she thought he was lying, and she kicked him out, and so she's feeling all this guilt, uh-huh. and, at the, and she's trying to talk to him, and the character grabs a syringe, a big needle, and starts trying to kill himself. He's poking himself in the neck with it. And this pregnant doctor grabs the syringe and they're fighting and the gurney flips over. And when Elda clears, the needle is sticking into the belly of the pregnant psychiatrist, right? And, and that was the end of the series. And well, so so I, you know, was young and I and everyone I knew told me uh-huh. to just not have the shot of the needle. But I knew better, right? Uh-huh. And I'm like, you know what, I'm I'm this is my show, and I and everyone's like, okay. And they aired it, and they aired. They, they gave me every break opportunity. Yeah. And it was Who Wants to Be a Millionaire was a huge hit. Yeah. We went right into that. The show. The, and back then you had the Nielsen ratings. Yeah. So you could track exactly how many people were watching <laughs> when, second when, by when it stopped. Yeah. And the second that needle, right, ninety percent of TVs turned off. Just boom off, right. <laughs> For a week. Right. So I'm <laughs> I'm I'm at my house. Yeah. And and I knew we had a problem with the ratings, right? Yeah. And I get a call. It's like eleven thirty at night. I get a call, and it's it's late. Yeah. And uh, no, I'm no. I was I was in New York, so it's eleven thirty yeah. in New York, and I get a call, and it's from L.A. Yeah. And so this is uh, I'm calling from this is Michael. It's Peter Berg there. Yes, Peter Berg. This is my Michael Eisner's assistant. Can you hold for Michael Eisner? So Michael <laughs> yeah. Eisner, if for people that don't know, was the chairman of Disney, was the most powerful guy in Hollywood at yeah. the time, was the big boss. Like he was the shit. Yeah. And I'm like, Michael, yeah, I'm sure this is Michael Eisner. Yeah. I don't believe it, right? So I hear this voice. Hello, I go, go fuck yourself, Joe, because I think it's my friend Joe yeah. playing a prank on me. Always, and I, people always do, you hear these kind of prank mistakes right. so often. So yeah. I, I hang up on <laughs> Joe, right? Yeah. The, fo- the phone rings back again, and and it's Michael Eisner. And yeah. Peter, I, I, this is Michael, I don't know who Joe is. I'm. This is Michael Eisner. I'm, oh, Mr. Eisner, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, sir. I'm sorry. I thought you were somebody else. He's like, yeah, I got that. He's like, uh, I'm, I'm calling about your show. <laughs> yeah, I got that. I'm, I'm calling about your show, Wonderland. And I'm like, and now, you know, they, they basically just told me they're going to cancel it. Ari's now like kind of working as an agent. He's like, they're canceling your show. And we've done nine of them. No, no, we hadn't done nine of them. We were scheduled to do nine. Mm-hmm. We had nine scripts. I'm like, I am deeply passionate. This is before the rundown, right? This is like my big move before the rundown. And he says, you know, I've seen this show about mental illness. And let me just tell you one thing. It's diarrhea. 
I'm like, thank you. He goes, you can tell me it's creative, and I'm going to tell you it's creative diarrhea. You can tell me it's it's stimulating and it's uh, original, and I'll tell you it's stimulating original diarrhea. You can tell me it's important, I'll tell you it's important diarrhea, and there's no important diarrhea, Peter. I'm like, okay, I got it. I got it. Thank you. He's like, yeah, okay. So we have a problem. And I said, what? <laughs> like He's just killing me, right? Yeah. I go, what? He goes, my wife loves the show. <laughs> she says it's the best thing we've got, and we've got to put it on the air. And I'm like, oh, your wife has very good taste, sir. I admire that. Yeah. And he's like, I want the show to be 70% medical and 30% of your little psychiatric diarrhea. And I'm like, 60-40. He's <laughs> like, it's like 70 70 30 30 diarrhea 70 medical he wants me to turn it into er yeah i'm like 60 40 he goes 50 50 and you got to pick up i go deal and so i made that deal with him yeah we had to recast and turn it into you know kind of half doctors yeah. saving lives and half um but there's still some really good episodes there how many did you made the air we ended up doing um i think we made eight uh, two made the air and then yeah. he killed it. And but then um, so you can get them. They were on Netflix for a while. They're, then they were um, they were they were wild shows. Yeah, they, they, I remember it seemed really wild. So a couple things. I forgot. I, I just remember I had this other memory. I remember there's another time I saw you where we went to Brill's first wedding in Kentucky. Yeah, when the dude fainted. Do you remember that? I just remember being at a table, not knowing anything about Hollywood. It must have been '94, '95. I don't remember when it was. And I'm sitting there with you and your wife, your first wife. Elizabeth, yeah. And I'm sitting next to Elizabeth Shue, and everybody knows Hollywood, and I don't know anything. Elizabeth Shue is like telling me about being in Leaving Las Vegas, yeah, which hasn't been out yet. Yeah, she's famous. And almost, but every, I guess like all bets were on it. It was, and, and I was sort of like, well, good luck with the movie. Like, I knew nothing. Yeah. And I just remember her being so cold and so horrible yeah. to me. And your wife was rough too. She was just tough. Yeah, she could be rough. I was just a little intimidating. But you know, but you were also like the easy guy to be rough to because you were sort of like <laughs> supremely, you were always just dangerous. Like no one knew what the fuck was going to come out of your mouth yeah, they yeah, still don't yeah you were you were you cared but you didn't yeah and and you were kind of on your own path so these women nobody really knew what to expect from you yeah. they couldn't just write you off is yeah. this like weird dude from boston right because you had too much yeah swagger for that and i think you know yeah just sort of like well maybe that guy will land but <laughs> well yeah but like for a woman like my ex-wife or lisa shoe you're going to be like, they don't know what to make of you, so they're going to like clam up and not give you a lot because you're you're kind, you're kind of like a human weapon system. <laughs> Come on. You are. You, you, you Mr. Swagger. Well, like, well, but like when I was dating Whitney Cummings, yeah, yeah. like, and, you know, she would talk about you like you were this god, and I'm like, Mark Barron? You know, I might go do his podcast or something. She's like, you be careful of Mark. You don't know what he's capable of. I'm like, Whitney, what are you talking about? No, you don't know what he can do to a person. I'm like, come on. <laughs> But, you know, so and they, Whitney was a slight, a little bit younger uh, than us. She says hi, by the way. Well, she says hi to you, too. I told her. I, no, I saw her last night. I went to the yeah. store, and I said yeah. I was going to interview her. Was she, she going out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's always there. I mean, that was... I can't she's imagine quite a, quite a woman. Yeah. You, you guys still okay? Yeah, we're good. I mean, I, I love her. It's just yeah. as I said to her after, you know, several months of dating her, yeah. like, you are a lot. <laughs> you be, are a she, lot. She'd be the first to admit that, yeah, I would she think. she is, and, but as... As um, generous, yeah. loving, intelligent, right? Like the work ethic is unlike anything I've ever seen. 
Um, she's well, that's nice. She will always have and, love in my heart. And your kids are good. My kid is good. The other, the other, I don't know if there's kids. If there are, I don't know. You them. only have one kid. Yeah, just one son. He's uh, a freshman at University of Texas. And you Texas. get along with the ex too? Very well. The, the ex that was mean to you, we get along very well. We're like, yeah, I thought she was mean. They're just intense. Well, she was know. intense and mean to me. So, yeah, dude, join the party. Like, is she still in the business? She uh, she actually works for my company. Oh, really? Yeah, she's doing. She's great. She's a you know someone oh, I cool. trust. And do you find that it's hard to find people that you trust the longer? You go in this business? Yeah, well, you know, the weird thing about my business is very small, is that, uh, you know, I've got my uh, business partner, my, my producer of this show, who I've worked with for a decade, and I don't spread out. I don't know how to uh, delegate. Delegate stuff, yeah. So that's why I have a small world. You have a big fucking production Yeah, I company. got a whole company and, like, you know, 100 people working there now, and it's just interesting how it's it's just hard as, as you get older to find people that, that you know... That, you know, it, it, that you trust and yeah. that, that you can count on. And then like suddenly you wake up and, you know, you're the oldest guy in the room. You're the boss. Yeah. And, and you look like, all right, we got to get someone to solve this problem. And you realize you're the guy. You know, at the end of the day, I'm happiest writing and directing, you know, movies and TV shows and learning how to manage a company and, and have a business. So each department, each one of these subsidiary, these departments have heads. Yeah, they all have a head. And then I have a great like CEO who, yeah. you know, this guy, Matt Goldberg, Who's you know a really great businessman? Yeah, can but but still I have to assume some responsibility for understanding you know how much costs. I mean we have human resource. We have two human resources people. Yeah. and three accountants. And yeah. I'm like, what's going on? You know, like um, it's turned into a real company. So you have, you, but you definitely have to trust people. Yeah, I have to you have to delegate and trust, and you realize that you know <clears throat> there are just not a lot of people out there that. You can trust, yeah. Like, to, not that you, not that they're untrustworthy, but if you're looking for people to kind of grow a business, or you know, you're doing, you, you've got the, the aspiration of opening up a larger operation, yeah. and that requires other people doing their jobs, right? And and as I say, as as like, I don't know, tacky as it may sound, as I get older, I realize, you know, in business, the most important job by far is the person that can divorce the other person from their money, right? So I've got to be, if I'm going to direct a movie, I have to be able to go and look at the my bosses at Universal or Netflix or yeah. wherever it is, look them in the eye and say, you know, I need a ridiculously large amount of money. You need to give it to me. I am going to take it. I'm going to make up this story and film and spit and I'm going to put, make a movie. I'm going to give it back to you and, and people are going to love it. And you're going to make a lot of money and you're going to say, thank you to me. Yeah. So give me that's the, the most important. That's person. the hardest job yeah. at the end of the day. Like, and, and if you're in business, like that's what we do. We're sellers. We're a production company and finding people that can actually go out and close deals and bring the work in yeah. is a very, it's a very hard skill set to find. No kidding. Like, is there something, you, is is there some sort of, like, thing that you want to do that you haven't accomplished yet with the movies? Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm doing a... Um, Where, like, make your Oscar movie? I want to, I want to make a love story. Okay. So the film, I'm, I'm doing, uh, <clears throat> I'm, I'm writing it now. Uh, and, and I, you know, I always joke if, 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 like, I'm always telling people I make, where you're working, I'm making a love story. Because yeah. my movie's... Are very violent generally, sure. and yeah. but I, I, they actually are kind of love stories. They just generally tend to be about kind of male brotherhood yeah. or male camaraderie. But um, uh, I'm, I'm, 
I've joked for a long time that I want to make a love story, and uh-huh. people ask me what I want to do, and you know, I would always be in the middle of some giant action sequence, and I'm like, I just want to be on a beach with a boy and a girl and a bottle of wine in south of France on a camera, and, uh-huh. and they're kissing and they're crying, and I don't want this shit. Yeah. I'm gonna make a, but, and I joke, but the truth is, I do uh, want to make a love story, so I have I have the idea, and I'm writing it now. This yeah. is going to be is a big departure for people. Well, it's still pretty twisted, and there's a military component to it, but it's <laughs> it's a love Thank story. Thank God. It's a love story. You won't disappoint your fans. It is a love story. Good talking to you, pal. I love you. We did it. I love it. you too, man. And I thought, I thought it was going to be, uh, I thought you were going to just, uh, I don't know what I thought. Worked out good. You seem you seem relaxed and nicer when you're older. But I don't work for you. So. I'm I am relaxed and nicer, and you seem relaxed and nice too. And you didn't attack like Whitney Cummings said you would. Why would I do that? I don't know what the fuck she's talking I, about. Ask her. Say why? Because you scare people. How, how am I going to attack Pete Berg? Well, you, how does that end well? You never know. But especially when there's a hammer on your desk. No, it wouldn't have been a hammer, and you you weren't going to say anything you didn't want to say. What but, you know? What am I going to do? But why are people scared of you? Because I'm intense. I don't think you're that. Intense. No, I know. If you know me, you don't. See, people make assumptions right, about me. Right, me too. Yeah. People think I'm intense or I'm mean or I'm not going to I heard that you like are prone to sometimes physically guiding your camera people around the set. No, like throwing that- them around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can fucking go, move, move. Because I'm trying to get the shot and they're not getting it. And I got to, you know, help them. But not not hurting. No, I never I, hurt anyone. I know, I know, I know. I, I forgot to bring yeah. that up. I have, I have probably done that. Well, um, well, good luck, and uh, thanks for putting me in the movie, and I'm looking forward to the uh, military component in the new love story. Thanks, buddy. All right, that was Pete Berg. As I said, that uh, movie, Spencer Confidential, premieres uh, this Friday, March 6th, on Netflix. My special, uh, End Times Fun, premieres March 10th. That's Tuesday. Very exciting. Now I will play my new guitar badly. Gotta get the hang of it. My hands were stiff. I'm sick. I'm sick. Hopefully I'll talk to you uh, on Thursday.